0: those fighting in the dance hall Oh man, look at those cavemen go It's the freakiest show Take a look at the
1: Hello and welcome to another rip-roaring episode of Pod Like a Hole Presents a Space Podity. It's where three guys in their now late 30s talk about music. In season one, we discussed Nine Inch Nails, Trent Reznor, and everything else in between. This season, we are talking about the one and only David Bowie. But unlike what we did for season one, we are going all the way random order by the diamond dice we roll the dice it tells us where to go and on this episode we hit a number four which brings us to hunky dory um this is mark i'm always joined by my colleagues my friends the fine gentlemen that were also included as my best men in my wedding i have Stephen. oh hello there i'm I'm sorry it's taking so long for us to get to the point. <laughs> and of course, that's uh part and parcel of what we do here, folks. And then I also have Eric. Hey
2: there. Uh and this is a special episode because uh you know, you know, my wife always calls me hunky dorable. <laughs> no, she doesn't. She doesn't say oh, she doesn't boy. say anything nice to me. Let's let's move on.
1: <laughs> you know, I actually thought um You know, because of my Disney brain, thought that this would be a great title for a a Dory feature that you would find, you know, famous for finding Dory and finding Nemo. (laughs) Find on the old adult inner tubes, um, hunky Dory, if you get my drift.
3: I get it. That actually will not be the last time Disney is mentioned
1: tonight. We, I think we need to just make this a Disney music podcast at some point.
3: We'll get there. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, uh, on that great Halloween episode we recorded, which was such a joy, uh, we talked about the Haunted Mansion a bit. What was the name of that podcast you were telling me about that just
1: talks about rides? It's called Podcast, colon, The Ride. Okay. And now look, I, I actually Wait, shotgunned what, a few what, episodes. Podcast, The Ride? Or ride podcast or ride the oh, ride.
2: Oh, okay, okay, I like So I like it's, that.
1: Not, it's like it's, Jurassic Park, the ride, or Back to the Future, the ride, on
3: the movie, Simpsons, the ride. The ride. <laughs> yeah, coupon <laughs> the movie, followed by uh, what was that, Mr. Show's sketch about the roller coaster that killed people? <laughs> the uh,
1: exactly, <laughs> yes,
2: or the uh, Intimidator or whatever. I ain't afraid of no roller coasters. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's, it's essentially this podcast, but essentially they break down uh, theme park rides um, in every minutiae detail. Uh, and they go off track, they go off topic, and, you know, three white guys in their 30s that are also going to the Upright Citizens Brigade. Um, they get some guest stars. Jeff Garland from Curb Your Enthusiasm has gone on that a couple times. Uh, John Daly, who was on The Kroll Show. He's got big, buggy oh, yeah, eyes. Oh, yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a so, fan of that guy. They, yeah, they get people. Um, so good, it's a good podcast if you like a meandering talk about theme park rides.
3: Nice. Do they ever talk Which about Great America?
1: You know, they don't. They mostly have talked about just, you know, the Disneyland worlds um, and the Universal Studios. Uh, they also had an episode. I haven't listened to it yet where they broke down failed theme park rides or th- failed theme parks. I guess there was a hard rock uh, theme park, apparently um, that was just an absolute disaster. Um, and I never knew this, but there was also a star Trek type of experience down in Las Vegas mm-hmm. uh, that included some rides. And they also go into that too.
3: Yeah. They, they, uh, they, you know, Star Wars is about three, 30 years behind the curve on that one, or twenty. Um,
1: it's true. The only
3: difference is that nobody really. I, I don't think the Star Trek experience in Vegas really took off.
1: So, do you remember that the Star Trek experience? I
3: I didn't go to it, but yes, I remember it existing, and uh, I can only imagine that during the convention season there was some weird uh, shenanigans going on uh, in the penthouses with the. Uh, you can have
1: a. Drink in Cork's Bar. You know, that's just right there at price of admission.
3: Yeah. Quite, uh, hanging out with Ferengi would be fun. a uh, good time. <laughs> yeah, you know, Rub them ears. Some Sometimes I couldn't tell if they were leaning in toward some kind of racist caricatures, but uh, the Ferengi were a good time.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. As I'm going through the original series right now, it's wild, like what the Klingons are being portrayed as.
3: Oh my! It, 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 the original series, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. Oh boy, the old brother. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. It's like they somehow managed to offend people from the, um, the 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 eastern region of the world, but at the same time they're sure. also full of a uh, yeah, like Russian Cold War uh, fears. At the same time, it's really an interesting oh yeah, blend. Oh, yeah. So slice of, Slice um, of history right there.
1: But before we get another bad review, Eric, uh, we better move <laughs> things along.
3: Actually, before we get another bad review, you know, we don't read the reviews around here that often because, well, you know, we appreciate it when we get them. Usually they say something along the lines of like, hey, I'm happy I stumbled upon this podcast. I've been a fan of David Bowie or 9 Inch Nails for years, and these guys are all right. And, uh, you know, I always appreciate it when I see them we're not doing this for validation or we wouldn't be doing it because let's face it guys, it's not that validating, but, uh, we did see one that I was kind of amused by that. Uh, Eric pointed out to me, Eric, what, what was it? I'd, I'd like, yeah. I'd like to make sure everyone gets to, to share in sure. this
2: Sure. username, Diane Detroit. Uh, uh, just, uh, on October 10th, left us a review titled, I tried to like it, but, and, uh, She lets us know that it goes nowhere and takes too long to get there. Many other better music podcasts. Try the album club. And uh, that's
1: what she's got to say. Plug in the album club. All right.
3: (laughs) see there. And that's, and that, that's the thing. When you do that, you completely negate everything you tried to the point you tried to make. When you, when you come by to plug somebody else, that means that everything you said before it is worthless to us. So any kind of big point you were trying to make you had to go and probably pimp your own podcast. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah.
2: And,
1: uh, I mean, it's always nice to hear from fans. I'll be honest. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I love the fan, the fan mail and the hate mail. Bring it on.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh you know, yes, it, it we do take a long time to get where we're going and it's a, it's a, it's a, we are a whole mood as the kids now say. Um, and, uh, you know, people like it, like Nick Meyer on Facebook said, just told us our next day episode was his favorite episode we've done yet because he's less familiar with the album and we, in our meandering way, you know, expose some of the fun moments to him. So, hey, thanks, Nick.
1: Absolutely. And uh, can't thank Michael Kimonos enough. That, that guy has been pretty much with us since day one. I know that, uh, you know, a lot of interaction on the old – Social media is always nice. And even though we're giving Diane Detroit a little bit of ribbon here, um, you know, if you're not part of, I guess, buying what we're selling, we understand, but we ain't changing. In fact, we're doubling down.
0: <laughs> on sale again. See the mice in their million hordes. From Ibiza to the north broads we we'll pretend you is out of bounds To my mother, my dog, and clowns But the film is a sad thing, Paul Cause I wrote it ten times or more It's about to be written again As I ask her
3: to Can you hear me? Am I Do I sound okay? Yeah, so fine. Okay. Uh, this is very ironic that I was uh going on a tirade about the quality of pot did you just open a beer
2: nope that's just your internet connection uh-huh keep going
3: uh the 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 irony of of talking about the quality of podcasts and then get completely kicked off of my internet again okay my point being is that when you listen to a lot of podcasts it sounds like the uh, it's disingenuous and they got together to make a podcast whereas when i listen to us talk even though this might sound narcissistic I feel like these guys actually like talking to each other. We're not just hitting record so we can fucking put out a, a product. And that's I think right. that's that's a big difference to me, at least. I, um, I can't sit through a lot of podcasts that don't have uh, a certain amount of chemistry between the hosts. I don't care what the topic is. So if we don't get to uh, whatever you think you're coming around here for quick enough, maybe you're coming around here for the wrong thing. And uh, last time I checked, you didn't give us any money, so... No big deal.
1: You know, it's wild. <laughs> I think um, there's been plenty of podcasts or plenty of things that I've just been like, yeah, it wasn't for me. But I just don't feel like I need to put in the extra effort to let them know that. I'm just like, it wasn't for me. That's fine. I mean, how many times do you need to write a letter to the editor anytime that you feel like, right. I didn't like that show. I want you to change it. Okay. Oh, <laughs> well, that... And that's exactly why
3: I said the, the last sentence there completely negates the whole thing. Cause you know, they just want to, you know, I've never even heard of whatever podcast that is. And that was probably some way of them getting promotion. So in a way we're popular enough to where they thought writing a bad review yeah, and mentioning their podcast I mean, was the wow. way to go. Interesting. <laughs> well now my ego is stroked. Fantastic.
2: <laughs> right. Ah, uh, no news is bad news, gentlemen.
3: All right. What's next? Well, actually, you know, it, it's funny that in the same breath, one of our listeners mentioned that our last episode, was with our uh, the next day, was their favorite one we've done, which is amazing because Mark had to do an editing job on that one to make it uh, even a coherent listening experience, the likes of which, uh, 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 who's that guy that produced all the Beatles albums? That's uh, Martin.
1: Oh, uh, George Martin. George Martin would have been proud of you, Mark. It was a, quite a feat. I did what I can. Like at first, I thought it was a a bloody corpse that had been mangled um, by a uh, train accident, but I was able to stitch the damn thing together, and sure enough, the patient survived. Um, it wasn't my best work, but it certainly was something that uh, I felt it was entertaining enough to put out. So,
3: well, you know, it's I'm sorry that I live in a haunted house now, and my internet some days is perfectly fine. <laughs> And then other days, uh, you know, Bob Cratchit comes by and causes a lot of problems for me.
1: So, old Jacob Marley, just shaking
3: them chains. There you go. You see, it's all the it's all it's all the ghosts from Pirate Bay.
1: <laughs> That's right. Oh, did you see
3: that? Did you see that? Mark was doing a voice there. He's getting ready for our audio production. We're gonna do. You guys, uh, bone, bone up on those voice. You know, every exactly everybody. You know, the holidays are coming. Uh, we're gonna give you a little treat.
1: So. Exactly, oh, David visited by three ghosts.
3: Steve, we did that
2: like four <laughs> years ago. You and I just did.
3: <laughs> no, we didn't. No, no, we did. That was you know back then, Eric. Our presence on the internet might have well have been a tin can with strings between it. Okay, nobody else was listening to us. Now we have at least we've got at least fifty people that download this shit, maybe more. So I mean, we know at least one of them would, has some podcast called the the Album Club. And they probably really <laughs> wanna hear what I think we should cook up. So let's just right, leave, it, we'll, leave it at we'll that. We'll
2: talk about that off, off air. Um, and I'll remind you about the time that it took to do the last one. But I found it say. I found
3: one that's much more condensed. It's fine. Okay.
2: <laughs> All right. So uh, do we have any news to discuss? Any Bowie bulletins or nine inch news?
3: Yeah, we got it we got a couple of things. Um Let's see here. Uh, Did you guys see that Trent Reznor was talking about how he actually likes the, uh, he's open to the idea of the rock and roll hall of fame now.
1: No, I didn't. Uh, So he inducted the cure um, last year and now he's like, yeah, I'll go ahead and join them. Is that what you're, well, yeah. He
2: said, he said it was a, it was a good experience. He said like, um, yeah, when I did it, and I saw people getting excited, and I was like, "Oh shit! Look, Roxy Music's playing. The Cures here are like, maybe it's changed. Maybe there is some relevance to this now." And I and I'm I'm okay being a part of that good energy or whatever. It's kind of his general, general.
1: Uh, yeah, An old man softens in age.
3: And and he did say that the, you know, they asked him uh, who has he even thought about who he'd like to induct him, and he's like, "Not really, but I I wish it could have been David Bowie." So,
1: uh well, we're I guess we'll be his second best choice. <laughs> yes. I mean, we're available. <laughs>
3: That's right. Uh you know, we can still we could uh I I don't know if we can all get to the uh, Hard Rock Cafe, but I think that we could, you know, finally in, involve the State Theater here in Auburn California, California somehow and we'll uh, we'll do one of those things where we we satellite in to introduce it. Right.
1: So, exactly. I mean, great. I can't think of anyone better. I mean, I really can't.
2: I think so, it's my, let's book it.
1: All right. Uh another
3: little item I thought was interesting is that, uh, I did read in an article off bleedingcool.com, which is a really hacky comics, uh, rumors website. Very hacky. I shouldn't even give them their, uh, their URL, <laughs> URL the time of day, but, uh, I was reading through an article talking about the watchman TV show and the failed Terry Gilliam, a watchman movie that never came around and allegedly, uh, according to Terry Gilliam, David Bowie really wanted to play a uh, Wars arch. So. R- R- Rorschach, Rorschach, whatever. <laughs> uh, I, 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 how many times, listen, I got to hear it all the time, but I don't say that word much, but, uh, Oh yeah. Oh, I, mean, I, I,
2: I just was hoping I I wasn't saying it wrong this whole time. Uh, no,
1: it's Rorschach. Yeah. But, like it's Rorschach um, from uh, Welcome Back, Hotter. Uh but I could see David Bowie being a more of an Adrian Vite character. As, right.
3: as, that's very true. I like to think
2: David Bowie would use his uh, his uh, Philip Jeffries voice as Rorschach. That'd
3: be great. Well, I should get better at pronouncing Rorschach, considering uh, we might need to talk about him a little bit more in another episode.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. That's I mean that's the big news, right? Is uh, Nine Inch Nails released the, uh, volume one of their score, which we've watched the show and we enjoy the music and we've got a lot to say about it, but that needs to be its own kind of side thing. And yeah. So we will, we'll, we'll circle back and it'll get its own episode very soon.
3: Yes. And I, 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 gotta say though, that's, they, they really did. They've done a good job with that music, making it very special towards not shading the show. I think it's uh, informing some of what you see. I really dig it. <clears throat>
1: Yeah, at first I was puzzled by the show. Um, but after just two episodes I was hook line and sinker. It's it's a it's a goodie.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and the, and the, and the music, the music's uh very special for Nine Inch Nails fans cuz half of it sounds like it could be on a uh, Ghosts or a uh, or a uh, Fragile definitive or something like that type. This a lot of it sounds like Nine Inch Nails proper, which is great.
3: Well, I, I think also some of it sounds like a, like that Sister Night theme song sounds like a straight up club banger that you would be right at home uh, in any late '90s industrial club scene that's uh, lit in green light, and that's a compliment.
2: Oh so, yeah, you know I was you know I was dancing in my car to that.
3: <sighs> uh, and uh, the the only other thing I thought was interesting is that I found a Rick Wakeman interview uh, that was a retrospective. And Rick Wakeman was, of course, in Yes, but also on various David Bowie
1: albums. I think he was on
3: this one. Was he on this one?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. That old Warlock's all over this (laughs) one.
3: (laughs) And he he said that uh, right around the time before uh, Spiders from Mars, uh, Ziggy Stardust invited... Or, yes, Spiders from Mars. David Bowie invited him to be part of the Spiders from Mars on tour and uh, be a full part of the band. And Rick Wakeman was also really becoming part of yes at the time. And yes was kind of his thing. And he moved it over and he told David Bowie, nah, I got to, I'm going to give this band. Yes. A shot. We're going to try to do something different. And David Bowie said, all right, good idea. And then, uh, years later, him and David Bowie were sitting together in a pub somewhere, probably like 1979 or 80. And David Bowie told him, he's like, you really, really made the right decision when you decided to strike up your own path there. Because, I've found that I usually make a few albums with people and then kick them out. So you'd be out of a job.
2: <laughs> yes. That's true. It's yeah. very true. very yeah,
3: true. I found that pretty amusing. So there yeah. you go.
1: No job security working for David Bowie. No, unless you're Earl slick. That's true. <laughs> Cause you get that cool name.
2: That's right. When he's not a uh, uh, you know stunt doubling for Jack Sparrow, he's uh... <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's not a scarf he met that he didn't like.
4: That's
1: right. <laughs> All right, so this bad boy, Hunky Dory, was released in the year 1971. Eric, hit me with some facts.
2: Ah, Hunky Dory, or as I called it in the last episode, Hunky Deezy, to which Steve was not having it. At all. He doesn't like my youthful slang. Okay, Boomer. Uh,
3: (laughs) (sighs) Okay.
1: You know, that's like uh, saying the N-word with a hard R for some people. Thank you.
3: We lost half our audience there. (laughs) Okay. Anyways.
2: Uh, yeah. So 1971, um, hell of a year, hell of a year. Uh, did you know that you could buy a house for $25,000 in 1971? You could buy a Datsun sports coupe for $1,800. Look at that. A uh, very popular toy was the Rock'em Sock'em Robot, which you could buy for $9. There you go. Uh, hey. We can all say thank you to 1971 for inventing the microprocessor and kickstarting the digital age. Uh, do you guys know what the 26th Amendment is?
1: Um, I believe. Come
2: on, the, take a shot.
1: The Does it have to do with women?
2: No, it doesn't have to do with women.
3: Um, I, I, I assume it's been repealed. Whatever it is.
1: Is it, In the last uh, two years it, Does it have to do with uh, our uh, Current situation where a president Could be removed from the cabinet
2: This has to do with the fact That 18 year olds could vote
1: Ah And many don't
2: Yep uh, yep. Uh, it was lowered to 18 Only during World War 2 And then it jumped back up And now it's back to 18 Look at that
3: So, So wait who can vote now <laughs>
2: 18 year olds.
3: Okay. Well, when uh, uh, 2020. Oh, that's the next election is 2020. That's right. Okay. How old is Lennox? Uh, he's
2: 10. He's a. Uh, oh, shit. How old is he? He's 11. He's 11. He <laughs> how, just 11.
3: how old is your son, Eric?
2: <laughs> he just turned 11. You got to get used to saying it. Yes, he's 11 now. He's a, how how 11.
3: long has he been 11 for?
2: He's been 11 for a week.
3: Okay. You're forgiven. That's kind of like writing checks in the year, you know, 2019. I figure around March you'll get it right. So.
2: There you go. Uh, Mark, uh, point of interest for you, buddy. Uh, Disney World opened in 1971. I know,
1: a place I've never visited. I I need to eventually scratch that off the list. Um, But, uh, yes, Walt was dead. Um, and his brother finished it, Roy. Oh, Roy Disney. How do we feel about Roy Disney? And then Roy died after that.
2: <laughs> he
1: did. He did. Roy died in
2: yeah. same year. Same year. I know. Right.
1: He did. Yeah.
2: That's right. Uh, some exciting stuff in space. Uh, you got Apollo fourteen. Uh, where they hit a golf ball on the moon. Look at that. Nothing says American progress like hitting a golf ball somewhere. Uh, Soviets built the first space station. And uh, Mars got the Mariner 9 spacecraft to take some pictures. Okay. Hey, guys, some big music events. Led Zeppelin released. Led Zeppelin 4 this year.
1: The Zoso album. What was that? The Zoso album.
2: Oh yeah, there you go. That's,
1: yeah, yeah. That album is a good one. Controversial statement. It man. is. It is a good one, <laughs> and you better like you know delete your Twitter account for saying that. I'm gonna get some at mentions. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Rolling Stones made a big hit with Brown Sugar. Michael Jackson was already recording some songs. Brown
3: We on. Brown Brown Sugar. That was yeah, uh, that's a great song. The Sticky fingers. <laughs>
1: Oh man, that album's flawless. Yeah.
3: That's right. That's right.
1: Um, but who died this year? Oh, when, yeah. friend
2: of friend of the show, Jimmy Morrison.
1: I know the shaman himself.
3: As a,
2: what? that's right. Found dead in a bathtub in Paris. The
1: monk
3: bought lunch. That's right, he bought a little. <laughs> uh, Mark and I could we we could do an entire hour podcast dissecting the song, the soft parade We might do that for a B B side.
1: Yes, we could. That's a fun one. That's a great, uh, Oh man.
3: (laughs) I no, I love that. I feel that I, if you, if you don't love that song is cause you haven't heard it. it's a, it's a, it's a brand of zaniness that almost spins out of control, but man, they definitely grab it and they stick the landing on that one. If you ask me, I love that song.
1: There is so much going on in that song. Um, yeah, it's it's it, it, it's an unsung song in the sense of what they can do in their catalog. So good. What's a, Eric? Take it away. Sorry. No, you're good. Oh you're I was good. actually. Yeah, I was no, gonna it, ask. I haven't, it, thought,
3: about the, I haven't thought about the. I haven't thought about the Doors in depth in a while. What was the last album that? So Jim Morrison died. What was the last Doors album? Was it a, that one that was like poetry? A woman. Okay.
1: Uh, American uh, uh, Prayer was him doing a spoken word album that The Doors later then decided to put music on. Um because The Doors had two other records after Jim died with both Robbie Krieger singing and Ray Manzarek singing and as you would imagine those albums did not uh do much other voices and th- can't remember the other one but anyhow um LA Woman was the last one. The album's great. But anyhow this ain't a yeah. doors podcast
2: that's right Eric. uh more solo uh, artists: rod stewart with maggie may and janice joplin and james taylor were all uh hitting their stride this year um ike and tina jackson five were charting um painting a little picture of 1971's music but let's talk about some popular films okay so, a, you got the clo- A Clockwork Orange, a film that would inspire generations to come, including topic of our podcast, Bowie, as he would often reference it.
3: Topical, topical uh, uh, movie right now, considering Doctor Sleep came out this weekend, which is a sequel to The Shining, and somehow it's a sequel to the book The Shining, because it's also a Stephen King book, which is a sequel to the book The Shining, but also they made it they managed to apparently make it a sequel to the shining, the movie as well.
2: Right. Uh, A film called shaft, uh, which is a great fun film, but Steve, I feel like you've got another black exploitation film to uh, share with us based on your
3: Netflix watching. Thank you for bringing that up, Eric. Last weekend, I had a joy of a time watching Dolomite is my name. The Eddie Murphy uh, biopic about Rudy Ray Moore, who was uh, one of his? the character he made famous to an extent was Dolomite. And it was a limited release in the theaters. It was on straight release to Netflix. It was written by the gentleman that wrote um, Ed Wood and uh, the Andy Kaufman uh, biopic, uh, the Larry Flint biopic. So they're good at that, these two guys, whose names escape me right now. And also directed by the gentleman that directed Hustle and Flow. Uh, it has Eddie Murphy in it. It has that funny guy from Kimmy Schmidt that was her neighbor. It has. Oh,
2: Titus. Titus Burress. Yes. Yeah, he's great.
3: It has. Uh, great. Who's the guy from The Office in Hot Tub Time Machine?
1: Craig uh, Robinson. Craig Robinson. Craig Robinson's in Jinx.
3: it. Jinx. Craig Robinson's in it. <sighs> uh, friend of the show, Bob Odenkirk's in it. Uh, it has a great cast, but Eddie Murphy is very, very good in the, the lead. And it is raunchy, but also it's kind of life-affirming. It's a good, it's a it's a dirty, feel-good movie. And when you can actually stick that those two things together, when you can have a good feel-good movie that also has got some filthy jokes in it, I always actually enjoy that. So I suggest it to anyone. Dolomite is my name.
2: Nice. That's on my list. This weekend I'm gonna watch it. Uh also, this is a good year for movies. Uh Dirty Harry came out. Uh, French Connection came out. We've, already, both,
3: we've both of those. Yeah, two two things we've already talked about. The mistake that me and a friend of mine ours made you know, with <laughs> Dirty <laughs> Harry. Um, yeah, and then The French Connection is a great film that we've all seen. Uh, Mark, I'm sure you rewatched that on your AFI 100 list, right?
1: It's a good one. Oh yeah. Yeah, and it's Roy Scheider, it's Gene Hackman. Movie.
3: It's got it's got that one scene. Uh, Eric and I always used to quote it where he's he's. He's harassing the guys at the bar and he's all, hey, you haircut, get over here. That's the, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you ever pick it your,
2: your his you ever thing? Pick your
3: yeah.
1: There you go. Pick your, yeah. is it pick your teeth or pick your toes? Pick your feet.
2: Pick your feet. Pick, pick your feet. Pick your feet. Pick your there feet. You and, pick your feet yeah. And yeah. yeah.
1: We got yeah. there. The three of us, we got there.
2: Eventually. Eventually. Well, the, you know, we talked about him last time, but ha- the hack attack is uh, is a treasure for sure. Absolutely. Um, the, one of the worst James Bond films, Diamonds Are Forever, came out. Uh, Mr. Sean Connery had already retired from Bond, and then they brought George Lazenby back for the excellent On Her Majesty's Secret Service, but he would only be there for one movie as they decided they'd make more money by bringing Connery back. Connery never shied away from a good paycheck, came back for the, uh, the pretty bad uh, sequel. Uh, so did
1: he, so, um, never say never again, that came later, which was essentially a, f- just a remake of Thunderball. And it um, wasn't
2: even, it wasn't a Broccoli production either. It was a, com- yeah, it was right. a, yeah. So it's not, it's not canonical, so to speak. Yeah,
1: exactly. Because there was some like writers, uh, but who is your favorite bond?
2: Oh, good question. Well, see, it's hard because if I said who, who embodies the character the most, he also makes the worst movies. Cause I was going to say, uh, I was going to say Bro- Brosnan embodies bond the best, but his movies, except for golden eye are all pretty are just shit Are garbage, <laughs> are, garbage. <laughs> are garbage. So it's really hard. Uh, so I, yeah, I mean, I guess that's, it's hard to say. I mean, I don't have a favorite. I mean, I think hit for hit, you know, hit for hit for hit Connery and, uh, and Daniel Craig, are you know they probably have the most hits, but yeah, I mean, yeah, dude, George Lazenby was great. He just the, the public didn't want him again, he was a, he only had one. Uh, I love uh, uh, what's his uh, Timothy Dalton's uh, not 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 the he first one, bad.
1: yeah, no, he was um, good, to kill, and then the yeah. other one was uh, fuck. uh oh, uh,
2: Living, Daylights. Living Daylights, Living Daylights was was, was garbage. Uh, that yeah. one had Mitchell. Mitchell. Joe Don Baker is the bad guy in that, if you can believe that. <laughs>
0: uh,
3: Mitchell. But, uh, everyone, if you don't know, <laughs> uh, Mystery Science Theater three thousand, the episode they do about the movie Mitchell, it's you got to watch it. That's what Ed. Uh, yeah. Eric is referring to the actor oh, from that yeah. movie. It's he's That's oh, yeah. an amazing episode of that show.
2: Yeah, <laughs> but uh, License to Kill is great. I do like that one quite a bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but
2: anyways, that's but, enough about movies and seventies. But well, hold yeah. on, hold
3: on. I didn't get to answer the question. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. Stephen.
2: Two things. My God, what is wrong with me?
3: A lot. Two things. Um, one. Speaking of uh, Pierce, have you guys ever watched the movie The Matador?
1: Yes, long time ago. I it's not that. bad. It's good. I thought it That's was good. Oh,
3: funny. you,
2: you actually had me come over and we had a little buddy movie night, uh, when you were still living in, uh, Sacramento and, uh, I love that. Yeah, that was great. That
3: was, that was a good one. Um, it, it was almost like the scene of the drive by fruiting and Mrs. Doubtfire spins off into a whole other reality. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, no, no secret here. I don't even know if you guys brought him up. My favorite James Bond is not a good James Bond, but he's definitely Roger Moore.
1: I knew you were gonna talk. I knew one of you was gonna say Roger Moore, and I think like, uh, does Heather? Uh, I think she holds Roger Moore in high esteem oh. as well.
2: Oh yeah, Steve. Yeah, yeah, you and Heather are the same. She Roger Moore is her hands down favorite. Yeah, yeah. she. Yeah. She got her grandparents to take you to every single Bond her to every Bond movie since she was like five <laughs> in the theater, and and that was Roger Moore's era. So she's a massive fan.
3: Interesting slip of yeah. the tongue. That would have been interesting if Heather had her grandparents take me to the movies um
2: yeah uh, <laughs> but no uh, roger moore has a couple uh, roger moore has a couple great ones i could talk about some of his
3: but well the first one i, I uh, the first one i did see as a kid I was, was see, of course yeah, yeah. yeah. and it, he was in he was in the ones that i think probably were the most cartoonish which is uh, it's uh, i mean uh, it's hard to define uh which of those movies are the most cartoonish but i think his A view to was, a kill and i just yeah i just <laughs> oh. the idea i just think it's fun like you know He's kind of a pudgy, pasty. Uh, uh, it's if it's if Riker was James Bond, which is what I like. So, if it,
2: if it Moon was
3: Raker. a gay a gay Riker,
2: gay Riker was James Bond. Yes, yeah. He's uh, uh, he. Eh, Riker is ridiculous. Octopussy is terrible. That it doesn't get much worse than Octopussy. If you do I a kill, it's not bad. No, if you do a kill, it's fine. Um, yeah. And the uh, has Christopher Walken
1: in it. Grace Jones.
2: It might surprise you that uh, The Spy Who Loved Me, that Carly Simon song gets stuck in my head constantly. I think I actually really, really like that theme song.
1: (laughs) That's a good one, actually. Um, Which was the one that he goes to New Orleans and he's got that that sheriff uh, shows up? To
2: Live and Let Die.
1: To Live and Let Die. Great, great song by Wings. And that's a good one.
2: Right, right. Wow, um, this became the Bond cast. I'm okay with that.
1: <laughs> we know, we know who's not okay
3: with it, and she's writing a review right now. Give <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> us another
1: chance. She's going to try one more time.
3: Yeah. Um, God, it was fucking 15 minutes in, and they're talking about James Bond for 15 more minutes.
1: <laughs> That's
2: right. That's right.
1: Uh, oh. Listen to us on 2x. Um,
2: uh, all I'm going to say is TV shows. Uh, you've heard of All My Children and Mary Tyler Moore. And then there was another show called Partridge Family and McLeod. And those were the top shows of the
3: year. Oh, man. Very I good. I love shows that had titles like McLeod that just, you could just kind <laughs> of figure out what they're all about from the title. I mean, yeah. yeah. I did. I actually, Absolutely. I went on a, a, a Rockford Files, like half day binge recently. And it was, a, I am very sure that. Whoever watched Rockford Files, the next thing they had on their docket was definitely McLeod.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. And McLeod is just a name you have to yell. McLeod. I don't even know if if it's something where like a boss or a police captain was yelling at him often, but I just have to assume.
1: Yeah. Okay, so what,
2: what yeah. year what year is it? What year
3: are we in?
1: Nineteen seventy one. Nineteen seventy
3: one. Uh, I hear a song in the distance. sure if Eric is done talking, though. Is Eric done talking? I'm done. I'm done. I took over. Alright. Well, that means it's time for sports! And, believe it or not, in 1971, the Milwaukee Bucks won four games over the Baltimore Bullets. The Baltimore Bullets don't exist anymore. I think they became the Washington Bullets, and then they became the Washington Wizards. I think you're right. That was in basketball. Over in the world of harness racing, Australian (laughs) Inter-Dominion Harness Racing Championship, Stella Frost won. So good for her. Who won
1: dressage? I'm really interested in who won dressage.
3: Well, I can tell you that a man named John Spencer was the world snooker champion, and uh, that must have been before his music career. Uh, (laughs) But then... uh, (laughs) In the World Series, the Pittsburgh Pirates beat the Baltimore Orioles. And it was a uh, four, uh, four games to three. So that was a, a hell of a World Series. And actually, everyone, I'd like to take a moment right now to say I was very happy with the results of this year's World Series. And I know that
1: Mark was as well. It was a good time. It was a wild series. Uh, yeah, baseball's perfection. What can I say?
3: Yeah, I, I, I like the fact that... Uh, the the home teams never won. That was pretty
1: amazing to me. That was wild. Uh, the first
3: win seven games, and the away team won every time. And uh, the uh, the back to the the Washington Wizards, it was the Washington Nationals, who used to be the Expos. And uh, they had a couple of uh, ex-athletics on the team. They had friend of the show, Sean Doolittle, who uh, one time I had the pleasure of hanging out with in a Bloomingdale's and talking about – Neurosis. So that was fun. He has great music tastes. And uh, also, ex athletic Kurt Suzuki, who also is no longer uh, in, I am no longer a fan of him because uh, he decided to embrace the moment when he was at the White House and totally, uh, you know, pull the heel turn. So, whatever, Kurt, uh, I I don't think uh, when the day comes and they're rounding everybody up, I think the Hawaiians are going to be out of luck. So you screwed up, buddy. (laughs)
1: Oh man, yeah, that was heartbreaking. Um, uh, you know, with, uh, Sean Doolittle coming out with that statement, and then um, one of a uh, former athletic then essentially puts the red hat on. I think that was a kind of a fuck you, and uh, yeah, yeah. It,
3: it kind of was. And they used to play that I mean, they played together obviously in this team, and they they played together on the A's. And Sean Doolittle, he's 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 very progressive. He's part of a lot of uh, good causes. Uh, he and his wife both. And he said, you know, I'm not going to go to the White House. I can't, you know. Uh, I think he said something to the effect of, like, my brother is uh, disabled. And I couldn't, like, this guy ma- mocks disabled people. I can't look at him in the eyes. And then, uh, you all know, Kurt Suzuki throws that hat on and starts gallivanting around. Hope, hope it was worth it. Sell out. Yeah. But uh, he probably was worth it because he's uh, making millions of dollars.
1: But, yeah. Um, uh... Stick to sports, Steve, just like dead spins <laughs> owners said,
3: Oh, pour one out for dead spin. That is now, Now, on one hand, I am sad that, uh, I can't go to Deadspin spin anymore and read anything worthwhile. Uh, so the, the Deadspin spin uh, editors, the Deadspin editor got told stick to sports or some such he quit. And then all their best writers quit in solidarity. It was pretty amazing to see. And, uh, now that website is a, a corpse, but uh, I, I do think it's pretty amazing that they really all left. They all just said <laughs> "fuck you." So.
1: Yeah, I gotta, yeah, you gotta, I, gotta love it. You, you love to see it.
3: Yeah, and uh, the only my only thing is is that I just need to figure out where 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 do I read Ray Ratto? That's all I need to know. Uh, so, and uh, speaking of Ray Ratto, Baltimore Colts beat the Dallas Cowboys in Super Bowl 5.
0: Sports. Sports. Sports.
3: Sports. Now, Eric, are you still here? I'm back. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what what was David Bowie doing in
2: 1971? Oh, good good question. Uh uh, why are you asking me? <laughs> no, uh, I, I know what he was. I know he was, uh, he just changed wake up labels. Lennox.
1: Let him like answer this then.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. He, he joined uh, RCA records and they would be his home for the next 10 years. Um, and he got to work. He actually replaced, uh, well, at least for this album replaced Tony Visconti with Trevor Boulder. And I imagine there was some sort of uh, mildly entertaining conversation that happened when during all that. Um,
3: we'll never know. But we'll never, we'll um, never, we'll never know what was said.
0: Hey, hey, Dave! Uh, hey, I see you're in the studio. What's going
2: on here, partner?
3: Oh, he- hello, Tony. I was just uh, writing a song about Bob Dylan
2: classic writer that guy
3: oh i'll be talking about him plenty trust me he has a lot to say and i have a lot to say about him which is more than i can say about you i have no idea where you've been lately
2: ah yes yeah i've been busy i've been out i've been mingling i've been dancing i've been meeting people uh but you're here you're locked up in the studio you're working on something new Right? So, uh, I mean, is it just songs about your favorite singers, or what? What's this album about? What's the deal?
3: Well, you know, since I haven't been able to get a hold of you, I've been, uh, I, I find myself in one of my my transitional periods. You know how, uh, in this story that we're creating for ourselves, it will come back to, yet every few years I want to go from one thing to the next. Now, mind you, do not... Call me a chameleon. I am evolving, Tony. Evolution.
2: I see. I see what you mean. You know, you got a... Yeah, yeah. you got... You know, you're doing a little bit of folk rock before. I mean, what's your new thing, man? What's your gig? What's your new gig?
3: Well, I'm, you know, a little more rock and roll. Uh, we we, the, we sold the world on the last record, and I do think that there's something to be said for... A little bit more uh, electricity, a little bit more of uh, I don't know what uh, upward trajectory, a little more rock and roll, and from the looks of things, Tony, you've been evolving into some kind of rocker yourself.
2: Yeah, uh, I don't know if you noticed. I mean, look real close. You see anything different about me, pal? La- take a gander. Take a gander.
3: More, more. Your, uh, your more sequins than usual, a bit more... You're catching the light in a different way. That's right. And I don't know if you noticed, my hair is a little little,
2: little bit more... Uh, it's got a little more body than usual.
3: Yes, what's left of it, uh, certainly.
2: Yes, well, I, I I made a friend. You know him very well, uh, Mr. Mark Boland, of course. And uh, after we... Uh, after he, he showed up on uh, Space Oddity, I mean, what can I say? We've been hanging out. And uh, he... He's been begging for a little help on his album, and that's where I've been.
3: Mark Bloody Bolin, once again, dipping his space feather in my cosmic ink, I see.
2: Ah, is that, yes, yes, yeah, he's pulled me away for a little while. Sorry I ain't been around, but you know, hey, there's this new sound coming out, coming out of London town, and uh, what can I say, I've caught up in it, you know? But hey, look. Hey, look at you. You got a lot going on. You know, you got a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You know, you got a little bit of folk here, a little bit of electro rock there. I mean, <laughs> you know, back in Brooklyn, you know what they said, you know, people. Yeah. Hey, this guy over here, he's got one foot in the uh, in the Hudson and one foot in the St. Lawrence and he ain't got a canoe to save his life. <laughs> Am I right? Is that you, buddy?
3: All right. Yes. Uh, once again, in times of Duress, you're falling back on attempts at humor to lighten the moment, which I've always appreciated about you, Tony. But yes now that you mention it, maybe uh, maybe both of us are uh, dabbling in uh, more progressive-minded uh, direct directions. If you'll look in the corner over there, I found an old friend of ours. And he has more than filled the void you've left behind. Richard, won't you please come here? Is that a cauldron
2: and a a purple cape? Hello, Tony. It is I, Rick Wakeman. (laughs) Yes, we've met before, of course. I tickled the Ivories during the ascension of the Space Oddity. Ah, uh, this guy. Yeah, I can tell you that the electro you were talking about.
3: Richard is here, Tony, to evolve us to a place where I don't think you're ready to go yet. So you can go, you know, traipses trapes traipse around with Marcus Bolin, Marcus Bloody Bolin, if you insist. In Richard and I, we are going to create some fantastic sounds. We already have. We've already discussed if there's life on Mars. And we've gone through many changes together. I tell you what, but uh, neither of those things are going to compare to a song that I wrote about you for this album, Tony. You still have left a mark on this record. Trust me.
2: Oh, yeah? Yeah? What's it, uh, My Cool Friend? Or what's, what are you calling it? What's the thing called? The song, Tony, is called... <laughs> Sorry, Dave. Go on, tell him. <laughs>
3: yes, the song is called Queen Bitch, Tony. Ah, you got jokes, too. I see. Okay.
2: I, I gotcha. You see, Tony, what Mark has is hair and maybe some glamour, but what he doesn't Shh. have is musical magic. Ah, that's right. I can pull a rabbit from a sea flat. I can I can uh do a abra d minor. <laughs> do you like that sound? That is musical magic. Yeah, cool. Cool, guys. Real cool.
3: So, don't uh, don't don't worry about don't worry about us, Tony. We'll be here making Fantastic songs together. Richard's been telling me about these great progressive ideas he has. So, uh, yes, Rick Wakefield. Uh, Wakeman, but that's
2: okay. You'll you'll get it. (laughs) Yes, you will. Yes,
0: yes.
2: Something about that name is so short, but means so much. All right, I get it. You two are great. You're best friends. You're, you're doing hunky-dory. I, 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 that, it, it sounds great. You guys are you guys are loving life. Fantastic.
3: Yes, I, I, and I, I do believe you should be going now. Don't you have a plane to catch? Yes, always. Always a plane to catch when you're a mover <clears throat> and a shaker like me.
2: Uh, I wish you luck on this album. I'll be doing my own thing, but uh, I'm sure our paths will cross again.
3: Enjoy flying into the heart of the sunrise. Ah, oh, well! <laughs> ah, good one, David. Good one. Yes, you know, you know what's interesting is that whenever Tony leaves, he always says the word bingo. I'm a bit confused and I feel uncertain until we hear him say it. Can you please go open that window over there?
2: Tony, have you something to say?
0: Oh, yeah. that's what I call a finger. Oh I, oh, I walk in here.
3: That's, that is much better. David Bowie, you got David Bowie. He's singing on this thing and playing saxophones and piano and everything. Mick Ronson. Mick Ronson's playing. He's singing. He's playing the Mellotron. Trevor, Bo- Trevor Boulder is on the bass and the trumpet, uh, Mick Woodmansey, our buddy Woody, is on drums, and we had Rick Wakeman on piano. Now, Tony Visconti's off doing something else. So Ken Scott was the producer on this record, and he really did a lot of string
1: work that I approve of. so
3: tip of the hat, Ken Scott.
1: You bet. That's right. Steven, saving us from it's, uh... in obscurity.:
3: <laughs> Yeah, so th- <laughs> you know this, 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 year, this came a, a year after um, the man has sold the world. Which we have not covered yet, and uh, David Bowie kind of went into not hibernation, but he, he he took a step back and focused on writing. And this entire album, for everything I want to say, except for the final track, which is the uh, the the is that the how do you pronounce it? Boulay Brothers? Uh,
1: Boulay, Boulay, I think.
3: Yes, everything except for the Boulay Brothers was written before they went into the studio for this one. And that one was written when they were actually uh, were in the studio. Uh, so that that was what he was doing. Uh, you know, you got some notoriety from the Man Soul of the World. And I think that momentum continued with this record. This record definitely is the blueprint for it's, it's a great tra- transitional record. I think it has hints of what was going on in Man Soul of the World. But there's definitely a couple of uh, spots where you can hear Ziggy Stardust cracking through on oh, this yeah. one. It's, it's it's definitely it's definitely a station to station type album, I think. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, I I wasn't able to find any in depth uh, great stories about the recording of it. Nothing as dramatic as some of the other albums we've talked about. Um,
2: yeah, that's that's true. I did I didn't find much either. Um, I got some stories about the songs themselves, but as far as like you know. VH1 behind the music. I don't have much for you on this one.
3: Um, I think that's kind of actually reflected in the album too. I think this album, easy listening is not the term I would use for it, but it goes down really smooth and it almost feels like it came together. I mean, we won't know because we weren't there, but everything I've read about it, I don't see anything that says that it was like a difficult album for them to make. It really seems like it came together pretty just.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: Seamlessly. And I, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to say this as a slight, but it does sound like he sat down with the intention of, okay, I will play your game. I will make some consumable, you know, uh, you know, pop rock. And uh, as far as what was popular at the time, I mean, I just went over the list of the artists, you know, and, uh, you know, he can't help, but give it a Bowie twist to it, but he does like genre jump on this album quite a bit. To a lot of different styles that were in vogue at the time, um, so, anyways, it's 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 definitely one of his more, uh, you know, top forty
3: style albums.
1: Yeah, I also say I
3: agree and disagree, and we'll get and we'll get into that more as we go through the tracks. Um, well, I was just
1: gonna mention one real that- fast, but it seems that this album, uh, its biggest hits, are very piano driven, um, and you could get a little bit of the sense of some of the stuff from, uh, the space oddity record and then man who Sold the world. And then also a foot into Ziggy Stardust, like Steve was saying. Um, so this album is kind of, you know, it's a good bridge between what was past and what was future.
3: Uh, yeah, I definitely think it's yeah. a bridge album. Um, I think it's, yeah. And, uh, we'll give our opinions on it later. Um, the, the reviews, the reviews are in, in the Jay Sherman corner. And it, it pretty uh, across the board, a lot of people said, we finally think this David Bowie cat has figured things out. Uh, Chicago Tribune gave it three and a half stars. Uh, Pitchfork went back in time and gave it 10 out of 10. So good for Pitchfork. Uh, Rolling Stone, five stars. Spin, five stars. The Village Voice, uh, A-. So uh, that little... Batch of reviews that I just stumbled upon somehow on the internet. Uh, it, you know, it, it was, it, it seems like everybody kind of liked it. Melody maker called it the most inventive piece of songwriting to have appeared on record in a considerable time. And they were talking about the song changes, which is interesting because that's not my favorite David Bowie song, but uh, it's okay. And uh, but I, I
2: think I know what they mean by that. And when we talk about track one, I'll kind of go into that, but it's a crazy song that's super unconventional musically. It just is just so ingrained in us as a major hit that we, that it's hard to necessarily notice that.
3: Yep. Uh-huh. Hunky Dory came out. It came out not even uh, a year later after the man sold the world. I think that they were, they seem to be of a piece to me. Um, and I'm looking forward to talking that about that album too. But uh, I think we've talked about enough about what was going on around the album. We've named the players. Ken Scott, uh, Tony Visconti producing this one. And I think it is now time to go into a track-by-track analysis of this record. And we're about uh, 35 minutes in. So uh, I don't know if that was enough aimless wandering for you, but that's where this will begin, Diana of <laughs> Detroit. Here we go.
1: All right. Batting leadoff. off. <laughs> Is the title changes? So let's hear a little bit of changes
0: waiting for. And my time was running wild in the dead and streets. And every time I thought I got it married, it seemed the taste was not so sweet. So I turned myself to face me. I've never caught a glimpse. How the others must see the faker. I'm much too fast to take that test. Changes, turn and face the strange. Changes, do wanna be a richer man. change turn and face the strange. Changes, it's gonna have to be a different man.
3: So that was changes a classic rock staple. And I would say it's definitely as far as the public perception goes is in the David Bowie top five,
1: right? Yeah. Yes.
3: I mean, I'm not saying probably it's not. Yeah. In I mean, or it's, it's hard. Ha- yeah, top eight for sure. It's <laughs> yeah, very okay. It's not a, <laughs> it's not in my top five, but I think if you were to sit down and watch a VH one special on David Bowie, that's in yeah. their top five.
1: It seems to be almost his anthem besides Ziggy Stardust, you know, like how he goes through personas yeah. and changes. Um, so, yeah. Yes.
3: And to an extent, I kind of agree with that. I, um, I, I bristle, even though I'm not him. And I think he might've sometimes when people would just say, Oh, he's a chameleon. He's always changing. And I say, no, not really. It's not like every album he's jumping on the newest trend and making that what he's totally invested in. If you look at David Bowie and there's even uh, aspects of the lyrics on this album, which I will try to point out, he evolves. He doesn't just uh, change the spots like that. I think you can chart his growth and you can definitely see from Space Oddity to Man Who Sold the World, to this album, to Ziggy Stardust, to uh, Aladdin Sane, to pinups up through Young Americans, and then Station to Station being a bridge album, to the Low Trilogy to Scary Monsters, and then the Madness of the 80s. All of it, I think, is an evolution that you could chart that makes sense. I do not think he just randomly would say, I am going to be this person now. And sometimes I think that when people call him a chameleon, they lose the fact that he actually put work into progressing from sound to sound in a way that uh, made sense as a piece, as a whole. And uh, I, I don't think it was ever herky jerky. So I think, I, and that might just be a sticking point that I have. Uh, I do like this song. I I don't think though that you look at this track and you're like, oh, yep, that's David Bowie. He was always a changing. You know, that's uh, I, I think he was always growing, but that didn't just mean he was arbitrarily changing. Yeah, you are. Am I, making sense um, I,
1: I would agree with that, that, you know, the point being that he just loves to change for changing sake um, and make this new persona. And then the persona essentially um, influences the musical sound where I feel like it's the other way around. The musical sound influences this, <clears throat> this sort of persona that he wants to project and kind of personify. Um, so I agree with you on that. Um, this song, um, I do, I don't think it's overrated. I think it's a good song. Uh, but I do think just because of the, the theme of changing and who David Bowie is, you know, I think it does get a little bit of that, like overratedness, uh, musically. Go ahead. I,
2: it's tailor-made for right. like a montage too. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's been used in like Shrek too. And like, <laughs> just it's, it's, it's overused. And I did That, Right. it That shouldn't take away from the quality of the song. It's just it's just a very exposed Bowie track.
3: Well even, even yeah, the sorry. even Go the on. way the even the way the song moves with the uh bah, dun dun, 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 dun.
0: Yeah. I watch the ripples change the sides, but never leave the stream of warm and permanent sand. So the days float through my eyes, But still the days seem the same And these children that you spit on men's day Try to change their worlds Are immune to your consultations They're quite aware of what they're going through ch 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 and face the strain. ch ch ch
3: to go up. Dun 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 dun. Every time you hit those dun 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 dunts, you can imagine uh different photos of David Bowie flashing. You know what I'm saying? So it it lends itself to Going back to that
1: melody, the first time I heard this, even though it doesn't sound remotely like it, um I just it it feels like it could also be the theme song for Samford and Son. I don't know what it is. It just seems like, you know, (laughs) these two characters who own a junk shop, you know, are, even though it's like brown up, brown up, it's, it's a completely different melody, but just, I think the tone of the piano and just kind of the jumpiness and the bounciness of it, it just brings me to the theme of Sanford and Son. (laughs) And one thing in particular is I actually prefer the verses well, over the chorus. I think the chorus is kind of the most irritating part of this song. I like it en- enough, not enough to like make me want to change the song, but it's the verses for me that really hold the song together.
2: Uh, well, it's cool because the beat entirely drops out of the verses. The verses become like it's almost... Like, like, it's uh, like a singer-songwriter. It's like someone at the piano sings.
1: like singing to a nightclub. And I actually kind of prefer that a little
2: bit. Yeah. Yeah. The rhythm section drops out, and then when they go back, you know, to the choruses, it comes back in. Um <laughs> I I I on the other hand do really enjoy that dun 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 part because the piano and the bass are going together in a way that doesn't often happen. Usually the bass is doing its own thing and the piano is doing the melody, but they're, they're both playing rhythm section together. And then uh, they completely dissolve into that horn part and then come right back in. And it's such a bizarre way to do it that it's not until you hear him singing over it, that it makes perfect sense. And yes, it's catchy as hell. And I can see why you say it might be a little bit obnoxious, but turn and face the strange will be one of my favorite lines of all time. And, uh, and just how you can take that line as far as Bowie always celebrating the weird and just don't be afraid of new things. And, you know, um, I I don't know, just where I, I, I work in an industry where, um, People are so stuck in what they've been doing for decades that when something new comes out, it's not that it's more work. It's just a little bit of extra work to adopt a new idea. And there's so much pushback. And that's like a lot of my day. A lot of my work day is fighting against that. <laughs> so I just, I just love that. The sentiment of the song in general and that line, I just, I just, it just kills me. I love it.
3: I actually, so. I do agree with you quite a bit there, Eric. Before though, I want to make sure that I do give a shout out to the Sanford and Son theme song, which is a great theme song. And I'm glad Mark brought it up in the same episode where we were talking about Rockford, Rockford Files, which also is a great theme song. <laughs> Um, you big dummy. <laughs> Fred Sanford uh, and Lamont were fucking gifts to humanity. Um, yeah, I actually, I do like the lyrical themes of the song quite a bit. The the more that we talk about them, um, you can get, yeah, I, I think arbitrarily, if you look at it at the surface level, people could say, oh, it's about just changing. But when you talk about people trying to accept change, I think there are some great lyrics in it. I've always liked the, and the, these children that you spit on as they try to change their worlds. Uh, and our last episode, I think it was, I was talking about Greta Thunberg and I, I think of the people like that, you know, the kids trying to make a difference and how the old establishment tries to tell them, you know, what the fuck are you doing? You idealist that was going, that was going on back here with the, with the hippies, you know? Um,
2: Oh God. And it circles back <clears throat> changes. What's your shame? You've less, you've left us up to our necks in it. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's just the other generation, you know, even, yeah. uh, leaving a mess.
3: Yeah, Yeah. I think that's I love that line. And I love the line and the delivery of the strange fascinations fascinate me. Uh the odd changes are taking, the pace I'm going through. That section of the song, the way he delivers, the pace I'm going through. Uh I I really like it. This this is actually a track that the more we talk about it, it makes me like it more. Which I think is a sign of a great song. So
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh yeah, and lyrically it is interesting. I mean I think it's clear the overhead, the overall theme is, you know, uh, change can be good. Trust in the, you know, trust in the, uh, the progressive new generation, that kind of thing. I mean, he's always been pretty supportive. We talked about it during, uh, uh next day. He's always been pretty supportive of the up and comers and it's not just music he's talking about, but his <coughs> themes are pretty broad about change and why it's good. But he does do a, has one really earnest moment of self-reflection where he's like, so I've turned myself to face me, but I've never caught a glimpse of how others might see the faker. I'm much too fast to take the test. So like basically he's saying like, you know, he does have probably some anxiety about people thinking of him as a chameleon or a faker because he's always changing, but he's, he's moving so fast and is so kind of inspired by his work that he's not really dwelling on it too much, but he is acknowledging it.
3: One, um one lyric in this song. I also like, and again, as we decide, dissect it, I am reminded that I think this is more of a familiarity doesn't breed contempt, but it breeds me not appreciating this song as much as I could is, um, that line, look out, you rock and rollers pretty soon. Now you're going to get older. I love that line. And I like it because I think it's just a good line, which we've all, we've all gone through. We used to be roused about. So now we're fucking boring, but also, um, (laughs) It is. It it, it it sends a link out to one of my favorite Pink Floyd songs, which is one of their most popular songs, which is "Time," and it has that line towards the end, which is a uh, "The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older, uh, closer, out of breath, and one day closer." Yeah, it to sounds death, about right. I think mm-hmm. it's some, something like that, right, Mark? Yep. Yeah, and I just it reminds me of that line, and I I I, I, I like to link
1: those. two Yeah, songs I could see that. Bit, I so. think you're. Uh... Really onto something, and when we when we get to Pink Floyd season five, we'll we'll make sure we discuss that.
3: <laughs> oh, we almost did it for this season, and you know what's funny is that we'd probably be done with the podcast by now. But
1: instead, did. I know. Instead, we went on a what 27 like album journey. We,
2: we, yeah, yeah. Well, you forget about
3: that. solo solo project,
2: solo Gotta projects, guys. You forget about the Pink Floyd solo projects.
3: Well, that's true hey oh man I think Eric would you know see that's the thing I think we, we all know that uh, Mark and I like we duke it out for Pink Floyd super fan and then Eric's like hey I kind of like Pink Floyd but I think like Eric would probably really dig he would love radio Roger Waters solo albums like no one would believe uh, the, <laughs> the pros Oh, the pros and yeah, cons of hitchhiking yeah. he would find some stuff in there that no one thought of so. <laughs> I
1: think we should
2: exactly
3: oh. uh, well can we move on to track two we can and it's a uh, it's, it's a great track called Oh You Pretty Things and it sounds like this
0: where the books were found by the golden ones written in pain written in all by a puzzle man who questioned what we were here for all the strangers came today and it looks as though they're here
3: oh you pretty things or i like to call it oh you pretty song that wasn't very witty but uh, i'm a big fan of this track and i think mark has a lot to say about it
1: it it uh yeah this song's amazing um it starts out like a Folgers commercial, <laughs> you does. know, someone getting out it of bed.
3: Paints, it paints such a picture <laughs> of just like getting, just knocking that sleep out of your head and going down the stairs and, oh, your roommate or your, maybe your lover's here and you're going to have breakfast together.
1: <laughs> exactly. Just put a little coffee on. It'll be just the best part about waking up. Yeah. And um, everything
3: turns into the wretched. It does. I'm glad. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm not sure all three of us were just itching to make that connection. So, Okay.
1: Um, but man, this song is is something. It it kind of does a little rope a dope. Uh, you think everything is good, but then the chorus comes in, and uh, I really really dig the little sing along, the clap tracks, because I mean, it sounds like a uh, like something ominous is on the horizon, but it turns into like this. Still have fun, old, good time with the band. Um, this song is, I think, about uh, Bowie's reaction to Angie Bowie essentially saying that she's pregnant with, I think, uh, Zoe Bowie and now known as Duncan Jones. Um, am I wrong on that one? Or did you guys find that to be true?
2: I, I could buy it. I mean, I I'll go I, with it. I really, Go on, Steve.
1: No,
3: I was going to say, I'll pick that up if you put it down. I've never thought about it, but uh, explain the lyrics a little more and how you think that connects
1: together. So, actually, it was from the man himself. uh, In David's original notes, uh, distributed as a press release, the reaction of me to my wife being pregnant was archetypal daddy. Oh, he's going to be another Elvis. This song is all that plus a dash of sci-fi. So, maybe it's not so much like him – having a baby in a literal sense, but just about how his life is going to be turned upside down. Um, so I don't know. Uh, like, are you taking a more of a, a bent of going into the full sci-fi where someone's going to be invading them? I'd def- like, tell me more about what you think. I, this I, I, is I
3: do about. definitely think there is something about there's a few times on this albums. There's two themes in this album that, that recur to me. One is some kind of um, life as a movie or talking about being in a film comes up a few times. The other times there is a lot of talk of cavemen and evolution and replacement uh, to an extent. And I kind of think on this track, they could be talking about, um, I mean, they say got to make way for the homo superior, correct? And Right. Yeah, that's right. I, I do think there's some of that there where it could be, you know, talking again about evolution, the, the the changes to where you know he was. Uh, I I am not into a lot of philosophy. I know he was, and I do know he talks about the Superman and such things like that. And he's not just talking <clears throat> about Clark Kent. And so I do think there's an element of that of maybe somebody just they're enjoying their day and then they realize that they might be replaced by something else and their anxiety of dealing with it, or maybe just them witnessing it happening. And uh, how they react to witnessing what's going on outside their window—that's kind of what I, what I, uh, how it makes me feel. Eric, what do you think? This this is red meat for you,
2: right? No, it totally is. Um, no, you guys are both spot on. Um, the uh, the whole hand coming down from the sky, ushering in the Homo Superior. Obviously, like I said, it, that image comes up in the in uh, the red shit. It comes up in Year Zero, but I guess it, it, could it traces back Eric, to Eric. Yeah,
3: it also comes yeah. up in uh, the a link to the past, the Zelda game.
2: Ah, shit, there you go. And uh, you could trace it back to Nietzsche. Nietzsche, uh, Nietzsche did talk about yes, the Homo Superior, and um, there is images in some old uh, old Nietzsche books about the big hand coming through the sky as a as a metaphor. Um, and yeah, I think it works on a couple levels. I mean, it works on the level of you know looking at. Uh, this coming race of, uh, model humanity of, uh, the next, ev- the next step in evolution. Absolutely. hundred percent. Um, and watching, watching them, you know, the earth is a bitch. We finished our news kind of like we yeah, you know, humans have outlived their purpose kind of thing. And that, and that story about the, you know, then what's going to replace them, uh, is that, and then, yeah, if you factor in the fact that he is about to have a kid and he's wondering what that kid's potential is, you know, maybe he is thinking like the metaphor is the aliens, but this is this kid and what, you know, we could, I could raise him evolved, you know, to be bigger than man. And, uh, and, you know, kind of bring, you know, it's, that's kind of the beauty of parenthood, right? You really hope that you make your kid better than you are right through, through good parenting and all that. And, and, uh, and they could be your own evolution, so to speak. So,
3: yeah, I, I, uh, I, I dig that. And, um, Musically, I Mark already kind of brought up. It has that vibe of you know, plomping down the steps in the morning. I gotta say, when when it kicks into that first, like, "Oh, you pretty things!" I that I mean, bass, that bassline, yeah. motherfuck that bassline. So the cool. bassline's great, and Rick Wakeman pounding on the keys on the ivories there always gets me. Uh, I think the production on the song is very crisp. Um I've been doing a lot of driving around for work, uh, as you guys know. And I think this album overall was a great album to listen to in the mornings, uh, when you can watch the sunrise. And I think this song, as Mark stated, uh, it's a perfect waking up song. And when those it eases you into the you know wake up you sleepy head, he says it. But then when that the when the drums and the bass and the piano all kick in together, it's just perfect. It really just like oh yep I'm awake. Uh, I, I love it. I think it's a great.
2: Know that he originally uh, wrote this, and it was released on on another artist for another artist before this.
3: I did not. Who was that? He wrote
2: he wrote this song and performed on it. It's recorded for Peter Noon of Hermits, Hermits, uh, Herman's Hermits. It was his solo solo album. Uh, he wrote it for for him, Peter. Peter sang it. Bowie played piano on the record, and uh, but. Peter Noon is not one for bad language, so he changed the Earth is a bitch to the Earth is a beast. Uh,
3: um, that, happens, that happens to the best of us. Let's take a listen right now of a clip. Oh, you pretty face. Don't you know you're
0: dropping your and
3: in- Ah, yes. Herman's hermits. Oh, season seven. We're coming soon. So... <laughs> that's all you pretty things uh, we all agree it's a great song I love also the punctuation in the title of the song with the oh with the exclamation part you pretty things yeah uh, great track that's right it's a standout track always love a good 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 punctuation
2: in a title it's great yep uh, next track track three eight line She's poem
0: the of you. Oh, bye to its collision. Puts head
3: well, yes. Eight line poem. And Eric's delivery, speaking of punctuation of that track, was about as exciting as it gets for this song. Eric, <laughs> what else do you. <laughs>
2: I also notice you all you always give me your least favorite songs to do the to do the uh, descriptions of don't think I haven't noticed that Steven that's fine
3: that's because I know that you uh, listen I've, I've I've seen how you've lived your life and I know you can mine gold from whatever bad situations handed to you I think that's a, uh, well, I, I think that's a compliment but I'm not sure anymore <laughs> I, I think it
2: is I think it is um so this song is based all around Mick Ronson actually doing some pretty damn decent blues guitar. Um, it's very slow and he is just noodling. It sounds like he's just sitting on a porch granted with an electric guitar and an amplifier and a chord, but he is doing a very slow repetitive blues thing. Um, and then over it, Bowie is singing and Bowie is singing a very strange song that is, uh, I don't know. It's about, uh, people walking around town. It might have something to do with drugs. It's, it's pretty out there lyrically, but, um, what's kind of funny is every line of this eight line poem, Bowie changes his dialect, how he's singing. And like, he does it like as a proper Brit and he does it as a down South, like Southern drawl. He does a little Philip Jeffries in there. Um, he changes his delivery every line. Um, singing about a tactful cactus by your window. Uh, Anyways, it really is a low point on the album. I mean, honestly, it's, there's not a lot to it. It is an experiment. My guess is somebody said, Hey, Bowie, you can't do blues. And he's like, watch me. And he made this, but it's kind of a novelty song in the sense that he does sing with a lot of soul at times. And then he changes his voice and gets all goofy. And anyways, that's uh. That's what I gotta say about Eight. Line I don't record. have a
1: lot to add to that. It's, um, it's not like a, a complete train wreck. I think that musically, it does remind me of some of the interludes um, that Pink Floyd would do on some of their records. Um, it, you know, it's a it. It could have been just a good little instrumental. Um, I do actually uh, appreciate Bowie's vocal performance, but. It goes pretty much nowhere and it I think it steeped too much into the into his folkiness from his second record that didn't really engage me too much. Um, but it's a short little song. Um, musically though, it's it's harmless um, but it doesn't like you said go anywhere. It's just one of those things that probably could have been excised and no one would have known the wiser.
3: Yeah, I think it, it, it it's short enough to where it doesn't totally derail the record, obviously. It doesn't need to be here. I do like moments of it, though. I do like the opening sleepiness to it, especially after Oh, You Pretty Things, which we discussed talks a lot about waking up. And um, I do like the one line to where I don't remember what he says, but he he sings it if he's falling down a well. Um, so... I appreciate that. I, lo- I love it when someone sounds like they're falling down a flight of stairs. Uh, please check out our uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: So
3: I don't have much. Up. I don't have much to say about this track, but since I don't have much to say about this track. I would like for a moment to talk about the album artwork of this record so we don't forget to talk about it. Um, I am a big fan of the cover of this album. I think it really somehow describes how the album sounds. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of a classic image. It's got David Bowie pulling his hair back. He's wearing what looks like some kind of pirate shirt of some sort. And he's pulling his hair tied to his head to where if you look at it from one angle, it looks like he has cr- close cropped hair. But then you can see that below his hands, he has his long hair still. And I think that kind of calls out the transitional period between, I don't know, Man Who Sold the World and Ziggy Stardust goes in full glam territory. But I, I do think for some reason, the album artwork of this record really reflects the sound of it. And I wanted to take a moment to appreciate it. And I decided to pick that moment during the song.
1: So there you are. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's airbrushed. It's painted, too. Yeah, I correct. think it's, it is a picture uh, yeah. and then it's, it's airbrushed a portrait, over yeah. or something like that. Yeah. yeah.
2: Oh, okay. 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 Um, last thing about eight-line eight line poem, poem yeah. or eight-bar poem or whatever. Um, I got this quote. I got this quote from Pushing Ahead of the Dame. Um, apparently, William S. Burroughs approached Bowie and said, well... I read your eight line poem lyrics and I got to tell you, it reminds me of the writing style of T S Eliot. to which Bowie said, never read him. <laughs> <laughs> this is a funny little
3: exchange. There, you go. I think he was kidding. Who knows? I'm sure. Well, that's enough about that track. We can go from the totally whatever to the totally amazing with the next song life on Mars question. Mark.
0: To the seats with the clearest view And she's hooked to the silver screen But the film is a saddening ball. For she's lived it ten times or more She could spit in the eyes of fools As they ask
3: So that was a little bit of Life on Mars. And I don't think it's hyperbole to say this is one of the best David Bowie songs. And I think it might be one of the, I don't know, top 100 rock songs of all time. I am a huge fan of this track. I um, For years, I thought it was a, a, an Elton John song until I was older, uh, believe it or not. I think I've mentioned that before. And I think I could be forgiven for that because it sounds very Elton Johnny. Uh, what do you guys think?
1: This song is an all-time classic, all-time classic. Um, it's sweeping. It's got some string arrangements. Uh, he puts on a hell of a vocal performance. Um, if I believe the first time that we saw David Bowie live um, at the Area 2 tour, um, this is what they opened up with, It was, which area was amazing. One. It
3: was Area 1, Mark. It was Area 1.
1: Was it Area 1? That was the first area uh, two,
2: area two is the next year.
1: Oh, I see. So yeah, you're right. I where think this it was, was, it was the where inaugural it was
3: Moby and
2: listen, Moby and listen,
3: and I, I get it. The night that we saw him do this song for area one earlier that night, the blue man group played. And if anything, Mark just can't remember the night correctly because his mind was so
1: blown. So. It was blown. I mean, what they did with paint cans is unreal. <laughs> Um, And I'm sure that uh, going back to James Bond, I'm sure Moby played his version of the James Bond theme. Um, But anyways, so uh, interestingly enough, when I first heard this song, I'm going to pick out a lyric in here. And it's that Mickey Mouse has grown up a cow. And uh, it's not because I'm picking out because if it's a Disney thing, you guys remember the band Bush.
3: (laughs) Yes, of course. I have a story about Bush, if you'll give me a moment. Sure. Um, When my dog I grew up with died, his name was Arnold. He was a boxer. I was 15, and I took a Discman. I was 14. And I walked down to the train tracks, and I listened to Glycerine on repeat for about two hours because my dog died.
1: So when I think of
3: Bush, that's what I think of.
2: Oh, boy. Glycerine. Machine Head. Yeah, they had a a few tracks.
1: So um, I think I was in eighth grade. Uh, They had just come out with 16 Stone. And I was also starting to get into, I guess, alternative music. And, you know, Bush was all over MTV. And, uh, you know, I actually did like that first record. But I, I saw the video for Everything Zen. And this was well before I got into David Bowie. Well before. And they take that line that Mickey Mouse has grown up a cow. Um, and they put it in that song, Everything Zen. And so when I heard this song, I was like, wait a minute, that sounds familiar. And then it was years later when I got into, you know, David Bowie, I was like, Bush fucking ripped that song, that part. I'm sure that it was an homage, but still though. <laughs> yeah. So every time now, That's when funny. I hear that line, I can't not help but think of everything Zen. It's on America's
0: Torch brow. Mickey Mouse has grown up a cow. Mickey Mouse has grown up a cow. Days on sale again. Kiss a kiss in the real view. I'm so for your blame.
1: You. But anyways, not detracting from this song. This song is amazing. Um, it uh, It certainly has its moments where it is that singer songwriter. I could see that Elton John type of tiny dancer, but the song I think is a lot more powerful um, in its messaging and its uh, uh, arrangement. Um, Oh yeah. No, the, like the way that the arrangement of this song, uh,
3: from what I, I, I honestly, I, you know, I try not to get too emotional about the things I like, but this track, there are moments where it soars uh, so high. That I, it almost brings tears to my eyes. It's just, uh, it's, uh, uh does that happen to you guys at all with this track? Oh, hundred oh, yeah. percent. Well, you,
2: you guys, you guys know the, uh, string arrangement is actually Mick Ronson. It's not the producer. Okay. Uh, Mick did most of the string arrangements like he did on transformer. He did most of the string arrangements on
3: this album. Well, as we've discussed, so. in addition to being a guitar wizard, Rick was there, uh, I'm sorry. Mick was a, uh, a, a great arranger of strings and, um, a really nice guy, and uh, yeah, no, just like his, his, the way his vocals soar during the, the chorus, you know, the life on Mars part that does get you, but also the whole, like, you know, take a look at the law man beating on the wrong guy, the way he just, just delivers that just gives me goosebumps, and the way he says it makes me like you could feel it, like you feel the law man beating up the wrong dude, yeah, um, yeah. it's just. Like, the way this song has always made me feel is someone slowly strolls into the room, I guess the girl with the mousy hair, and she begins describing everything she sees in this movie she's seen many times, and she describes it so well that it's not an overly verbose song, but I think that, like, every word is chosen so well. I think this is some of his best lyrics myself. I, I don't
2: know. Right. It is. And I think you're close. I think I think you're close. I think the song is somebody who's had a hard life goes to the movies, and uh, she's kind of seen it all, and it kind of it it yeah, it almost takes the fun or the excitement out of these scenes that she's describing because she's lived it before. Um, and I think that's what he's getting at in this song. Uh,
3: again, there's also um, uh, some kind of nod towards evolution with the oh man look at these cavemen go where in this case i think it's just you know you're watching a bunch of assholes beat each other up but still uh really delivered well great great lyricism there um i i i can't say enough good things about this track it's actually hard for me to put into words how much i like this song i i i I don't know when it was exactly when this song clicked for me but it, it definitely at one point in my life, I was like, "This might be one of my favorite songs of all time." It's, and I, I, I think plenty of people think that. When David Bowie died, there was a bunch of uh, just little write-ups on this track alone. It's just such a great track. I
2: think I, uh, I I don't have much to say past like you guys are describing my feelings entirely. This song, this song, if. He's got a few songs that could maybe move me to getting choked up. This is definitely one of them. It doesn't help at all that my son picked this song to play at a recital and sing along with it. When you hear a little eight-year-old banging on a piano and singing this song, it's just, you know, it's
3: precious. I think we should hear a little bit of that right now. anderson playing life on mars and uh also if you're watching the tv show the watchman they used a version of it covered by someone for their uh the actually no it was the original david Bowie version in their trailer right but
2: uh yeah and let's not forget about the fantastic british show called life on mars uh about a uh detective modern day detective that travels back in time that has to solve his own mystery in the 1970s. So much so that his buddy cop friend is his name, his nickname is Gene Genie on The Force. Uh, great show, check it out.
3: Yeah, it's been used in, in in many movies. It's everybody loves it. No one has a bad thing to say about life on Mars. Maybe you thought it was Elton John until you were about 15 years old. But besides that, uh, uh <laughs> such a such a great track. <laughs> An all-timer. And it's uh, one of the reasons that we do this podcast because you don't run a track like that and uh not have it documented many, many times over about how good it is. I just said uh, uh, five, as far as songs go, five bolts, hands down. Great track. Fantastic.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, you guys had mentioned there's so many good parts about this song that stick out to you. Uh, one of my favorite uh, deliveries is when he does the rule Britannia is out of bounds to my mother, my dog mm-hmm. and clowns. And then, the piano has like that boom bit. The film is a saddening bore. And then it, and then it kind of yeah. just like rumbles. Yeah, exactly. Yep, there's rumbling. Piano. Holy smokes. Yep. That part, you might as well just light a candle on me. Cause I'm ready to go off.
3: <laughs> it, it, it's just, but then when it, it just, it rumbles, but then it like, it takes a minute, like, and it, duh, 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 duh. like the piano interplay with the lyrics in this track are masterful. Yeah, It's, I can't imagine what kind of day they had in the studio when they were able to put this song together. And it's also, yeah. I mean, the way the song kind of ends with a little bit of a, just a diddle Like Like, you know, there's a little bit of plinking. It, yeah,
2: you, it's like, it's, it, they, they like move the mic back and it just sounds like found footage of him just practicing the song. And, and it's, the scene, I think you know. it's
3: almost like they were like, holy fuck, we got to take a deep breath. And they just were like, they couldn't even properly close the song out with what they just did. So
2: apparently the uh the mickey mouse uh grew up a cow line had the musicians all just curled over laughing uh they had to like stop the take and and redo it it was uh uh, at least during their demo sessions or whatever because apparently it was uh it was (laughs) a it was it was pretty fun yeah
1: and you guys have seen the music video for it it was done in 1973 when bowie was obviously Promoting um, Ziggy Stardust, but uh, you know, he's got the Ziggy right. look right. down, and it's just him in front of a white, you know, room, but it's still a, a strong video, you know?
3: Yeah, apparently, um, it, it was uh, kind of his answer to a My Way kind of song. Like, the, he definitely sat down and was like, I like My Way by Frank Sinatra. What would my version of that be? I don't know if it was that blatant, but uh, I can see that connection there. And um, despite the fact many terrible old white men have sung that song, I, I'm a fan of that track, so you know I, I could definitely it, uh, I, I I could see how it could it, it could be kind of looked at as a mockery of such a thing, but also maybe more sincere. So
2: prefer this the Sid Vicious version, but yeah. <laughs> yeah that's it all right it's a, it's a, it's let's uh great... we could talk about it for another hour no
3: it's, but... a, it's a great track that sounds beautiful and just paints a picture of a bunch of stuff like, at the at the very end of the day if it does nothing else i don't think a uh like i can imagine a slow motion food fight taking place with this song playing and it would just be an amazing thing to behold <laughs> so i just <laughs> i just you guys oh, yeah, can see easily. It, right? it's just you know yeah
4: is on it's
2: a great track. It's just, ah. All right. It. That's how we go viral, guys. We remake, we, we get in a food fight together. Slow it down. There you go. Drop the song over. Again.
3: So anyhow, man, we are we are high as hell on this all-time classic song. Not only maybe an all-time classic David Bowie song, maybe an all-time classic song, period. Let's now listen to Kooks. You bought
0: a lot of things to keep you warm and dry And a funny old crib on which the paint won't dry I bought you a pair of shoes a trumpet you can blow and a book of rules. Oh, what to say to people when they pick on you. Because if you stay with us, you're going to be pretty cookie too. Will you stay in our lover's story? Goose! If you stay,
2: you be... Uh I, So I take it you want me to take it away, Steve?
3: Yeah, Eric. <laughs> so... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh... Kooks, uh, which I don't. I, does it have a question no, mark after no. it? I feel like it should.
2: No, <laughs> it should. It should. Do. Kooks. Uh, Kooks is the most blatant fatherhood song on this album. It is a bopping little folk rock song. Apparently, um, uh, Bowie was dabbling in some Neil, Rung, Neil Young records, and he was inspired and uh that kind of shaped some of the music in this i come from a neil young household it's my mother's favorite artist i've seen him at the bridge concert i've seen him before
0: i seen the needle and the damage done a little part of it in everyone uh,
2: i appreciate what he's done for music even if i'm not crazy about all of his all of his albums but uh I can definitely see Bowie trying to do a little homage in the music here, but it's a goofball song. It's a totally goofy song. It is a song about, Hey, me and my crazy uh, relationship with, uh, you know, Angie Bowie. Hey, we're about to have a baby. (laughs) That's going to be fun. Uh, You're not going to turn out normal at all, kid. In fact, we, uh, we hope you enjoy the ride because you know, you're not going to be normal, but damn, you're going to have a lot of fun with us, and that's—I actually think it's pretty endearing, even though their relationship didn't work out, and Duncan Jones didn't end up being a total wackadoodle. Uh, it's a—it's uh, a pretty sweet song about like family and uh, doing things a little bit unconventionally. Um, there are some great little lyrics about like. Like, really, like, you think I'm going to beat up other kids' dads? Kind of, <laughs> like, he's basically like, don't, don't get in fights at <laughs> school because I'm not going to beat anybody That, up that is, you.
3: yeah, that is, there's a lyric about that. And then, like, another one that says, like, you know, like I can't mess with cops or something like that. I don't know.
2: Right. Yeah, and he's like, and he's also like, uh, you know, and if you stick with us, just fair warning, you're going to be weird, too. People will pick on you, so here's how you deal with it. Like, there are some, actually, some really good family values lessons in this song. It's kind of cool. Uh, apparently some of the band members actually were like, Bowie, you could do a kid's album. Like you could take this style and do an entire children's album. And he like like, you know, kicked the idea around a little bit, never did anything with it, but, um,
3: I I can see that. I I actually, that would, I mean, between this and the laughing gnome, there you go. That's all you need. (laughs) Yeah. And and, man, I can't (laughs) wait. I I hope, I hope I just summoned tonight uh, to blow the, the dice into the direction of <laughs> the laughing gnome.
1: Uh, <laughs> good God. <laughs>
3: uh, yeah, that doesn't do much for me, but I appreciate the intent. That's about all I got to say.
2: I would, that, that sums it up for me as well. Yeah.
1: I think this is a home run. You guys know I'm kidding. Uh, this song just <laughs> rubs me the wrong way. Um, I know it's like a sweet little ditty. I mean, I think like you nailed, uh, what the intentions were. It obviously uh, has a mission that it needs to accomplish. And it does. He wants to write a nice little song about his having his, his son, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think the earnestness is just too much for me. I am a fan of Neil Young, but I also fully admit that that guy is hit and miss. And like when he delves into this type of, I mean, I'm a big fan of the song heart of gold. um, But I, I think that if Neil Young was to do this song, I'd be like, yeah, no, that's a miss. Couple forever, of
3: kooks. I can totally imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, you know, because I tend to, whenever I listen Keep to things,
3: Keep on kooking in the free world. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, this
2: kooks for you.
1: Oh. Um, like an episode of the Simpsons where Ned Flanders was raised by beatniks. I just kind of feel like, um, Ned Flanders dad was probably like, Hey man, we're just a bunch of kooks. And I just, I, I don't necessarily like when people like label themselves as we're just a bunch of weirdos, man. And kind of embrace it, you know, like if you have to label yourself weird, I just think that you're just trying too no, damn it's, hard.
2: Yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. And honestly, it's a very small sidestep until they're like, and that's why we didn't vaccinate you.
1: <laughs> exactly. <God. laughs> are you
2: guys? Are you, I, I can't remember. Are either of you caught up in the good place? Uh no, no. I'm, I'm in the last season. I'm right, I'm watching the last season right
3: now. There was a uh, last week's episode had one of my all-time favorite uh, mocking anti-vaxxers jokes I've ever seen on TV. And it's sad that we need to mock anti-vaxxers because they exist, but it was well done. So Nice. Nice. I I will say, uh, I will give the song this and uh, I haven't, I did not for this episode get to do my deep dive into cover versions of which there actually are a few from this record. I mean, if you think about it, you've got songs like queen bitch and life on Mars that are ripe for covering. Um, I do want to point out that smashing pumpkins did, did do some uh, did cover this song on a 1993 tour and James Eha sang the vocals and that just wow mi- that makes sense to me for some reason so yeah
2: <laughs> all right <laughs> It's wild all right
1: let's go to the next track which is quicksand Anymore.
0: i'm the twisted on garble's eyes living proof of Churchill's lies and destiny I'm torn between the light and dark where others see their target divine symmetry I ain't got the power. Oh. Don't
4: believe
3: in oh, your yeah. sound. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's pick it up. Let's, 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 let's get back on track. All right. Quicksand. This song for me is a... Uh, I've always thought that if if I were to sit and say, hey, if I did a podcast about David Bowie, I bet quicksand would be a song I like to talk about. I've always known I've liked this song, but I did not know how much I like this song until we sat down and do our homework for this episode. Did it happen to either of you?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. This song is one of those kind of songs that just fall through the cracks in the sofa cushions. And then when you kind of trip over it, you're like, oh, shit, where'd this come from? um because this song does take you on a little bit of a journey uh at first it's
2: complete sleeper agent yeah. the song it's it's yeah it totally it's a
1: it's a uh, absolutely um you know listening to it a long time ago it'll always be like oh this is pretty neat and then both, now that we're kind of delving and analyzing it, this is a fun one to kind of put through the microscope um apparently this is Uh, one of Marilyn Manson's favorite David Bowie songs, this one in Ashes to Ashes. You can see it, man. Well, I could see that. I can see it on both counts, and this one
3: lyrically quite a bit. Tell me more. Well, I I just think because um, I'm not reading the lyrics in front of me. I'm sure Eric has them open, but I do know that it does make references to the Superman and Aleister Crowley, and um, I'm not just reading this from Wikipedia. Uh, There's some occult stuff going on. Um, I want to say something the like, golden,
2: the go, yeah, the, uh,
3: golden dawn. I was going to say the golden dawn stuff. Like that's all, that's all Marilyn Manson's forte. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that gets back and that gets back to on this album, which is a, if you strip out some of the Looney tunes track, I actually, I don't know. I think your occasional kooks and, um, whatever that song is later, I don't like, For some reason, I feel like those songs actually do fit within the framework of the record in between the albums about evolution and the Superman and, uh, you know, uh, life reflected in movies. This album has a weird vibe to it where all of these disparate parts actually fit together for me. And I guess that'll be my uh, statement at the end of it. But again, this one does bring up, again, evolution. Evolution is on this record in a couple of spots. Definitely on this track.
0: Believe in yourself. Don't conceal with belief. Knowledge comes with death's release. Oh,
2: oh, 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 oh. Yeah, so just to circle back to the lyrics a little bit, the song is about how uh basically, like anybody that's <laughs> Gotten into existence, existential philosophy a little bit too much, has a moment of quicksand where it's this spiral of overanalyzing yourself and how you fit into the universe. Oh my goodness! So um, right,
3: right back to the good place and our buddy Chibi, Chidi.
2: Exa- exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. I, I actually think the good place is a perfect companion piece to this album. But uh, um, yeah, just basically how you know your mind when you start unraveling and getting involved uh, in thinking about these kind of things, it does, it sucks you in like quicksand. And you, and suddenly you're out at, at some parts closer and further away than you've ever been at really understanding, you know, your point of existence.
3: Um, it happens to me all the time at work where I think <laughs> that, uh, no, I, I think I've mentioned to you guys at the very top of my company is a very strong personality and there are times where I am convinced he's playing ninth dimensional chess with me. And then like a few days later, like it might go on for a few days. I snap out of this fog and just fucking realize like, no, this just everything's So disorganized that, you know, uh, I, I'm being allowed to do my own thing and I am not, you know, the eye of Sauron doesn't exist, but it's not always on me. And it's such a weird feeling when you can shake that. And I think that is kind of what he's saying here about when you can get out of that quicksand. But being in that quicksand is a, it's exhausting at times.
2: Yeah. And the lyrics in the song are fascinating. I mean, he's talking about the golden dawn, which is a, the order of the golden dawn was a, um, Aleister Crowley was a part of this and actually he ended up getting kicked out because he was a little too extreme, but it is, it is definitely like a Masonic kind of secret society. Um, definitely probably aligned with some chaos magic. Um, Winston Churchill was a member. He talks about uh, Juan, what is it? Juan Garcia, they call him Garbo. He talks about Garbo. Do you guys notice that in the song? He's not talking about Greta. He's not talking about Greta Garbo. He's talking about this guy's nickname. Uh, He was a spy during World War II where he was decorated by both the Allies and the Germans. Um, He was a double agent. Um, He was a member of this. Um, He's talking about... Um, living in a silent film portraying Himmler's sacred realm. Uh, Himmler was a big fan of this film, Birth of a Nation and uh, just kind of uh, just kind of a lot of imagery like that. These people that were like just uh, into some really strange occulty stuff for power um, and how it aligns with like this, this image of a, of a utopian society for the, for the, for the, the race of power kind of thing. I don't know. It's crazy. The lyrics are absolutely nuts. Um, uh, the Winston Churchill line I'm living like I'm living in Churchill's lies or something like that. Um, is, uh, you know, it was pretty edgy at the time because at the time Churchill was like a national hero, at least in the UK. Um, so I don't know. Anyways, the, the lyrics are crazy. And if you like, if you're mildly interested in some of the the magical secret societies. There's a lot in there. Clearly like he started reading when he was recording this album and he took all of his notes with him to station to station and, uh, you know, half pound of cocaine.
1: Yeah. Um, it also kind of reminds me of more of a focused version of the signet committee that was on the second record, you know? Yeah. I see Yeah. That. Cause yeah. of all the kind of the different, um, I guess musical changes that happen in this song.
2: Um. Yeah. It is one that creeps up on you because it starts and it's just him and an acoustic guitar. And if you're not listening to the lyrics, you might think, okay, so we're just got, we got some more, you know, folk Bowie, maybe it'll go somewhere. And then it really does. Like if you're listening to the lyrics, there's so much crazy shit going on that that could kind of hook you. If you're not, and you're just kind of getting in the mood mm-hmm. of the song. It's once those drums kick in, and it gets intense. Like it starts as like, a, I mean, are you guys with me on that? Like it starts pretty folky, but once like the drums kick in, it gets pretty like, uh, Oh yeah. No, one, nuts.
3: once the drums kick in and there's also like the guitar really gets, uh, to Mark's point, it does get back to like signet to the, to the committee, like defiant guitar, uh, just anger strums, if you will.
1: Um,
3: sure. And then it, when it gets into the death sweet release parts, it has some nice string section work going on. Um, yeah, this album seems like a cleaned up version of space oddity in some spots. I could see that just, uh, get rid of some of the fluff, get to the point. So they definitely did that on this track. I think. Did you guys, uh, did you, did you see the version of this that he did live with Robert Smith? So that's worth looking up. it's a good it's a good cover or not a cover I think it's that helped me, that I mean.
2: helped that helped me I think power through that and it's not the the song starts fine. It's just I was like, okay, I know people are interested in this song it, this is clearly is gonna go somewhere and boy, howdy it does. I mean the uh, dynamics in this song are unheard of. it's it's really it's a really good song like you said Mark it takes you on a journey. yeah I completely agree and the death sweet sweet release line. Apparently, the Golden Dawn, their goal was to break from the cycle of um, birth, death, and rebirth. Um, They wanted to break from that cycle, and uh, you know, Bowie's always had kind of a trepidation with death in his songs, but he likes the idea of enlightenment. And so, if 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 in this song, if 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 finally he gets a little peace and knowledge from this over obsessing about his existence, then he's okay with death in this song. And I think that's kind of a cool mm-hmm. idea.
1: Uh, there's does a, that make sense? No, it does.
3: And I, I do want to say that uh, we could bring him up actually a lot in our podcast, but we don't. Um, what is it pronounced? Sue Jorge? Yeah. From. Live- oh
2: yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. He does a good version of this. Uh, he does a Portuguese version of this track that I really do enjoy. Um, And I am half Portuguese, but I'm not biased. I think everybody likes it. Uh, His version of Portuguese is actually more of the Brazilian dialect, so it's a little bit different than what my uh, family speaks. But uh, I think that's a a great version of this song. Also, uh, Eric sent me a link to Temple of the Dog cover this when they did their uh, tour in 2016, and it was uh, was all right. so. So who was
2: singing for them?
3: Uh, on that track, it was Chris Cornell. Um, oh, I don't, I it. don't, I don't know if they brought uh, Eddie Vedder on that tour just to do like the two songs they sing together, but who knows? Uh, anyhow, can't imagine
2: it hungry without him.
3: No, yeah, that's. Uh, I think you would do a good job filling in on that track, Eric. I think you can pull that off. Huh.
2: <laughs> okay, I'll do it. All right. Uh, quicksand, hell of a side closer too. That was the end of side one.
0: If we can take anyone's money,
3: we
2: will.
3: There are times where maybe you, dear listeners, think you need to sign up for the California Lotto. And I hate to say it, but sometimes maybe Eric and I feel that same way. Oh yeah, I'm like, show me the money. But not Mark. Mark is independently wealthy. He works for one of the three corporations that own the entire world. But for the rest of us Sometimes we wake up at night and we're like, you know Yeah, I'm
2: like, show me the money Yeah, I'm like, show me the money, me the money.
3: If only I had some more Scratch
2: Yeah, I'm like, show me the money If
3: only I had some more Scratch
2: okay. And you know what? That never gets shown to me, never For
3: Scratch Patreon for scratch. Or Scratch We know in these fascist times that they're trying to stamp us
0: out Patreon Patreon I'm like, show me the money. Show me
3: the money. This, this little side gig we have here, well, you know, if we can make any of it turn a profit, we will. And by turn a profit, all I mean is if we can take anyone's money, we will. For what we do for free. If we can take anyone's
2: money, we will. Yeah, I'm like, show me the money. For scratch.
3: And toss a couple toss coins our way. way. But, I, you know,
2: let, let, let the cycle be
3: broken. And toss a couple toss coins our way. way patreon slash pod like a Hole. patreon go there and sign up for two or four dollars a month and toss a couple coins our way just just add add to our small money pile
0: if we can take anyone's money
3: we will and we'll keep giving you podcasts about david bowie or the Watchmen, or whatever story mark wants to tell about flopping around uh, in grade school, to Billy Joel songs, all that good stuff.
0: Or Scratch.
3: Thank you.
2: Well done. Well plugged. Well plugged.
0: As if we can take anyone's money, anyone's
2: money, we will. Yeah, I'm like, show me the money.
0: Patreon. Patreon.
2: Patreon. Slash. I like I And uh, about to bring up a ridiculous song on side two called Fill Your Heart.
3: Oh, that's the other track I was thinking of when I was talking about coops. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right, here's a clip of that, and then when we get back, let's make uh let's make Mark talk about this song. All right.
2: Oh, thank you. It's
0: in your head, only in your head, so forget your head and you'll be free if the writing was on the wall. Free, yeah, and you can do it all if you choose. Just remember, lovers never lose, because they
1: and oh, boy. Unkind. So that's <laughs> Fill Your Heart. And uh, it is a cover version, apparently. This is not a Bowie original. Uh, it was originally written by a gentleman by the name of Biff Rose and Paul Williams. Um, do, you know, do you know those people?
3: Well, I know Paul Williams. Is. He's the Muppets guy, right?
1: Yeah, he wrote
2: the Muppet movie, uh, the music for the Muppet movie. Uh, he he wrote- is responsible for uh, rain- uh, yes. the uh, Rainbow song. yeah,
3: Rainbow Connection, which is a great oh, song. God. We all love that song, yeah.
2: You want to talk about a song that makes me cry every time I hear it? I'm really embarrassed to admit that. No, that's it. That a- one, got- we'll get the waterworks going.
3: That's fine. And uh, boy, if you love the Muppets, maybe you'll love the special Christmas episode oh, we're going to cook up for you. Anyhow.
1: So I can see why this song is on here. It's it's certainly trying to be a little bit more of a bouncy. There are elements of the song that uh are okay with. Um I, I kinda I'm okay with the outro. Uh with the I think it's a saxophone but played by David Bowie that it does kind of like make me smile and it's it's not like I want to listen to this song over and over. I do think it is certainly one of the weaker songs off of this album. Um, if I know that there was probably some back and forth about, uh, where this should be even on the record versus the B side that was eliminated that we'll talk about, which is the bombers. Cause I believe that bombers was actually supposed to be in this slot right before Andy War Warhol. Um, then, um, then fill your heart.
2: Yeah. That's accurate. Yeah.
1: But I could kind of see that he still is in that folk Rocky. Everything's free and everything is about love, man. Um,
2: Well, I I would say thematically, thematically, it makes sense. You have a song about how overthinking and over philosophizing is quicksand. And, and only death gives you release. And this song is literally about empty your brain and fill your yeah. heart. Like that's literally what the song is about. So it's, uh, it's, it actually makes perfect sense to come right after. It's just right. a really cheesy song. Um, yeah, you're right. It's, it's really like upbeat and bubblegummy. Um I actually, I go straight to the pushing ahead of the dame on the, this because they have a great line where they basically say, um, you know, the original version by Biff and Paul is very sarcastic and it kind of works as a comedy song. Something you would hear on Dr. Demento or something like that um, about like the free loving sixties and you know how their heart's full, but their brains are empty kind of thing, which kind of makes sense. But when Bowie does it, he sounds like an hyperactive camp counselor and it just makes it almost creepy. (laughs) Just like just singing this song like hyperactively around a campfire. Um, it makes it kind of disturbing, which I, I appreciate that perspective. Um, that kind of, but I, that also is why I don't like, there it. is
1: so some I'm, interesting I'm piano work song. though, by Rick Wakeman. I think it's, uh, it's definitely the Rick Wakeman show as well. Um, that he is tinkling those ivories. Um, but it's just, yeah, it, it falls flat for me. Um, I, I try not to get too cynical about when I see bubblegum pop like this, but it's just, it seems kind of disingenuous. Um, I don't know from the messaging that you got some nightmares came today um, talking about the homo superior, about how we need to evolve. And then this just comes in to be just like a pretty shallow song in the sense of what it's trying to say. Like, yeah, I'd stop thinking about all of that, you know, big philosophical conceptual um, concepts where you need to potentially just, you know. Empty your head, like you said, and fill your heart and just um, hum that song as you're whistling past the graveyard. I, I It's not something that hits me.
2: And it's, yeah. meant, it's meant to be sarcastic. It's meant to be sarcastic. And actually, it's probably meant to be scathing against like the free love philosophers of the 60s. Um, but it's just it just the way Bowie sings it, it doesn't really I don't I don't think he hammers yeah. that home, but that's the way it's meant to be. So.
1: Stephen, got anything you want to add?
3: All right, fascinating. Nope, I don't. And let's go on to the next song, which is Andy Warhol. You ready?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like to take a cement fix, biggest standing cinema. Dress my friends up just for show See them as they really are Put the people in my brain Two new pens to have a go I'd like to be a gallery Put you all inside my show Andy Warhol
4: looks
0: a-scream
3: So Andy Warhol, which uh, I never thought much of one way or the other. I have decided is a song I actually quite like, and it is mainly because of the main, uh, guitar riff, uh, and the, 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 acoustic, uh, lick that boom ba 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 Oh, bow, there's a bow, great riff on yeah. the song.
1: I think that, so, yeah, that, that, it's that, got some squibbly do going on. Yeah. I, uh, that, absolutely. That
3: riff, that riff really works for me and that hooks me in. And, um, I, 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 I do appreciate the fact that, you know, David Bowie was a, a fan of the Velvet Underground and the whole uh, factory scene and, uh, you know, all that, um, it's not my, my bag per se, but I do like the romanticism around it. Um, I can't appreciate someone singing about it for about uh, four minutes and then moving on. That's about all the patience I have for it. Um, the song's pretty good. I don't have a lot to say. I feel like Eric might have more to say than I do.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, uh, you know, it's hard not to know who Andy Warhol is, but um, definitely me getting into the velvet underground in you know my formative years um, definitely made me like research him and know about like the factory and um that whole scene, which is totally fascinating. Um, Andy Warhol's actual like when he i mean he was a great curator, his actual art, I think is open to criticism, and I think that's fine like his movie work and his his, um, pop art paintings and stuff like that. And I, and I think that's fine, but you know, he brought us very avant-garde, uh, art from late sixties, early seventies. And I think, you know, he should forever be, you know, definitely respected for, for that. Uh, especially that first, um, you know, that first Velvet Underground album is great. Uh, they're all great, but, uh, um, so yeah, Bowie was really like, he, when he first came to America he was like man there, it just makes sense I gotta be friends with Warhol like there's just it just makes sense. I'm a big Lou Reed fan I'm a big velvet underground fan. I mean there's no reason why we can't be buddies um Warhol didn't like Bowie's music at all He was not a fan of it um and Bowie tried to like hobnob with him at a lot of parties and it just didn't really happen um and apparently, <laughs> he wrote this song. He went to uh, Warhol studio where there was a bunch of hangers on around. And this song is itself like critical about the people that were around Warhol. Like I think Bowie hung out with him enough initially before he wrote the song to kind of get an idea that these were a lot of like really fakey, like art scene And he played the song and apparently Warhol, like just like hated it and stomped out of the room, like stormed out of the room. Just not a fan of this track whatsoever. Um, which I think is a funny story. but uh anyways um bowie ended up playing him on screen in the basquiat movie which i have not seen uh, but always been interested in
3: uh the way the way uh, he plays him i I saw that movie a long time ago and the way he kind of plays him always reminded me of um that scene in the big lebowski where he is at mod's house and there's that guy cackling in the background uh udo keeler or whomever yeah and he's like, oh, yeah. you remember Uli? And they start laughing. That's kind of like, that guy kind of reminds me about how David Bowie played uh, Andy Warhol.
2: Oh, that's great. That's so so great. That's good. Where he's just like always laughing at an inside joke that nobody else knows about.
3: Yeah. That's awesome. I do like the chorus. I like the, I just, I, I like the delivery. Andy
2: Warhol. Yeah.
3: I, I do. Good. Yeah. I, I do like that. Um, the song doesn't blow my mind, but I don't mind it. And I do like how it's paired up with a song about Bob Dylan. I think that's a neat little section of the album where he's like, "Let's talk about some influences." So,
2: yeah, 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 yeah. It's okay. Even Queen Queen Bitch could be uh, a case could be made that it's that he's wearing his Velvet Underground oh, uh, yeah. love on his sleeve on that as, as
3: I think we will get into. Mark, yeah. uh, you have yeah. any opinions here?
1: Uh, no, it's a good song. Um, the guitar flamenco style of uh, playing from Mick Ronson is uh, probably the most memorable. Um, the chorus is catchy, uh, and, uh, no, no, it's no argument here. It's a good little quick song that, uh, captures what the influence is all about. And I do find it very funny that I'm sure Andy Warhol didn't l- particularly look like the whole looks a scream, like he looks like a frightful man. Cause I'm sure that, uh, <laughs> you know, um, that wasn't his intention, but anyways, good song. You guys nailed
2: it. I I, I oh yeah. What he when he's talking, he looks like he looks like the the painting, the uh, the scream. You know, right. he looks like the that
1: Edvard screaming Mooks character. Mooks yeah, the scream. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. And uh, I I I actually think it's pretty ballsy of Bowie to write a satirical song about Andy Warhol and the people that he has around him and play it for him live, <laughs> and Andy Warhol stormed. Out. I mean. That just, it's pretty ballsy for Bowie. I think that's, 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 that's so it kind of goes to show like he's always kind of worn his influences on his sleeve, yeah. but he's also not afraid to uh, be critical of them in their, in their own way. So anyways, uh, cool. More fascinating to me, the story of the song than the song itself. But I do really love aspects of the song a lot. Now I won't skip it. If it
1: comes yeah. Out. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to the next track then song for Bob Dylan.
0: All right. Bobby Dill. This world to pieces As hey, she comes on Like a friend a Couple of songs from your old stop You her. her home again Gave your heart To every bedside room At least a picture On the wall And you sat behind A million pair of eyes And told them how they saw Then we lost a train of My troubles are rising, we'd rather be scared Together than a little oh, Here she comes, here she comes, here's she here's come here
3: she comes again Eric, this is all you. Take us away.
0: All right. All
2: right. Uh, not a lot to say about this song. Um, this song is not so much... I mean, I think Bowie has straight up said that he was influenced by Bob Dylan at least for a time, especially those early years. Um, but the song isn't necessarily a tribute to Bob Dylan. This song is basically like in the sixties, Bob, you, you led an army. You, you wrote songs that inspired people to stand up, fight for something. And now where are you? There's a void. And it's not necessarily critical of Bob Dylan. It's just like Bob Dylan's moved on to other stuff. And he had seventies. He was on his way, not quite, but he was on his way to his Christian music. He was, he was moving away from, uh, um, I feel like early seventies, maybe he was doing like his rolling thunder review, which was really, really good, but he was not, um, he wasn't doing the protest songs anymore. And so this is a song about when they the youth, there's a void in leadership, right? And who's going to fill it. And that's really what the song's about. Um, I like that. He calls Bob Dylan by his real name though. Robert Zimmerman mm-hmm. at some points. I wrote a song for you, um, but it's not about you. It's like, I wrote a song for you, but it's not about you. It's about, you know, what we need. The song itself does sound like a Dylan song. It's structured like one. Um, it's a folk song with a lot of parts where it rises in intensity and, 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 and drops. I, I I noticed that. Do you guys feel the same way?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's why I'm, I'm, I'm okay with this song, because it does remind me of those Dylan-esque, like, uh, kind of – progressions and how it kind of propels itself. It reminds me of something that, uh, eventually Bob Dylan, I'm a big fan of, uh, the 1975 album blood on the tracks by Bob Dylan. Oh yeah. that's a good one. And, uh, that's a good one. And so, um, I know in that early seventies, he was kind of dabbling and kind of lost his way a little bit, but, um, it, now, it, it, Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Mick Ronson part of the Rolling Thunder light band? You played with them. Okay. Totally. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. Uh, I do like the part. But where, uh, oh yeah, sorry. Go on.
1: Oh no. Uh, do you know what your desire came out? Because that that should be roughly around the time of Rolling Thunder. In I, that one. Has, okay. Like, so that it, was. I think uh, that was
2: still. Yeah. I think that was still 60s. Actually, now that I think about it, because 70s was like. He did like self portrait, which is a weird album. I know Steve knows yeah. about that. I uh, and then, uh, then like new was it New Glory? Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Desire yeah, actually right. came
1: out after Blood on the Tracks, so yes, so that must have came later when Mick Ronson then joined that.
2: Okay, so that so, was later in the seventies. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh wow, I got it all wrong. I do like the part where he says, "Though I, do, I suppose we'll never meet, ask your good friend Dylan." if he'd gaze a while down the old street, tell him we lost his poems and we're writing on the walls. Just like, I like that. He's giving Bob Dylan the whole, like, well, you also have a, a public caricature that you're, you know, you're also performing as I am, you know? So he's telling Robert Zimmerman to talk to his friend, Dylan, you know, I think that's kind of cool.
3: Yeah. I think he, he definitely idolized him to an extent. And I think definitely in his more folk leaning phases, there's a, some tribute he was paying there. But I do like in this song, he's kind of giving them some uh, lip at the same time. Um, it's an all right song. Uh, I, I, I I do like to go on record every once in a while because I do give Eric a lot of shit on the podcast, but usually it's just all made up. But uh, one of the ways that Eric definitely uh, altered my life, if you will, was he is the one that made me a Bob Dylan fan. And so whenever I, I can uh, bring that up, I will. And uh, that was uh, definitely when we lived together and i was annoyed by bob dylan for most of my teenage and early 20s i think that happens to a lot of people and uh, once you mature if you can figure him out it's uh wonderful and then years later you're happy that you're seeing him live even though uh he's di- decided to do all his songs in weird ragtime arrangements but uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: that uh, even when i saw him back in 2002 he was doing that yeah yeah eh. it's fine i kind of wish he would have just uh stuck with his time out of mind sound and 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 that was it for the rest of Well, the-
3: you know what well yeah. yeah, you know. He's earned to do the right to do whatever he did, he he wants to do.
1: That's and
3: uh, I mean shit, at the end of the day, then uh when my wife and I got married, someone played uh to make you feel my love as we walked down the aisle. So that shows how much of a, a, a turn I did. But uh, one guy that's not turning is him. He doesn't give a shit, man. He has a personality now where he's like some weird, like, uh, Western fucking ghost that does whatever he wants. It's uh, I, I respect it. He's a yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's Bob Dylan. <laughs>
2: that's right. Still kicking. Hopefully, he still has that pencil thin mustache. <laughs> so. All right, that brings us to the uh, rocker of the album, Queen Bitch.
0: Ambassador, sweet-talking night, walking games Oh, and she's known in the darkest clubs for pushing ahead of the dames If she says she can't do it, then she can't do it, she don't make false claims But she's a queen and such a queens that your laughter is sucked in the brain
3: So that is a queen bitch and I think it is definitely a nod to what's coming our way on Ziggy Stardust. What do you guys think?
1: Absolutely. I mean, my goodness. I mean, this is the one that's laying down the train tracks to that record. Um, I love this song. The first time I believe I heard it was in the credits uh, sequence for the life aquatic, which was all, pretty much David Bowie songs done by Sue Jorge. Uh, he was a member of the Steve Zisu uh, life aquatic team. True, Steve, and he's got the crazy eyes. Then you get,
4: okay. uh,
2: yes. yeah, that, but that, that, the end credits was the one song you hear Bowie version of. And, uh, exactly. Oh man, it's it, and it, yeah. it is
3: actually, now that you think about it, it's such a Wes Anderson song. Uh,
1: it is 100%. I could like when I listened to it on this one, I was like, what fucking Wes Anderson movie was this in? I thought for a little bit it was Royal Bombs. I was like, no, that doesn't sound right. Maybe it was Rushmore. And then finally, I just Googled it, Wes Anderson, Queen Bitch. Yeah. And it was just, oh, it's the life Aquatic. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, it it, um, it, it, but it is 100%. The
2: guitar line at times does sound a little Brit pop, like not Brit pop, but like, like, uh, Maudie, like The Who or something. But then when everything kind of folds over it, it becomes glam, no doubt about it. And it becomes definitely a Bowie, a Bowie song. So I can see uh, why I bring that up is because, you know, in like Rushmore, that's all mod music. It's all like, you know, British, British invasion stuff. And it kind of sounds like that for a minute until it turns into a total glam song. Um, So good. Yeah, that scene is amazing. I mean, can we just all talk about that Life Aquatic? I think we all loved it but I, I feel like it doesn't get the respect it deserves and it's a beautiful film. Well,
3: I think, I think it, it is. It's a, it's a good movie. And, uh, I, I love, like, I, I just quoted the, you know, Willem Defoe line. Um, the, just the, the, weird relationship between Willem and uh, Bill Murray in that movie, make it for me. Um, it is not my top. T- I, I, God, Wes Anderson movies. I, if I were to rank them, it's towards the bottom, but that doesn't mean I don't like it much because I still love it. Um, it's just the Wes Anderson movies I love are way at the top. Uh yeah. That's a fun, weird movie. It's great. And I think, yeah, the, the I actually it, it's kind of surprising. I don't think we've talked about it much on the podcast at all. And one of the through lines to the movie was all those David Bowie songs, which uh yeah. it's it's odd that we made it all the way through Ziggy Stardust without really talking about it, but here we are. Oh, uh, we
2: we taught we we've we've mentioned uh Sue Jorge's um, or Sue George or however you say it. Maybe, maybe we, it's because tonight, like him,
3: maybe life on Mars really is what I remember on it quite well. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, yeah that's a fun movie. Yeah,
2: it's great. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really good. It's really good time. Um, uh, I think so I, the, the, this song itself. Now it's, that I'm thinking about it, <laughs> I want to watch it again. I'm just thinking about, about some great parts.
3: There, there uh, you go. This song itself is a great track. I think we it definitely, you are right, Eric. It is fun that you have uh, Andy Warhol, Bob Dylan, Velvet Underground uh, 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 nods in a row. Yeah. Um, and I would say the Velvet Underground influence comes out in
2: the music a little bit, but definitely, he's definitely doing like a Lou Reed story in the oh, song.
3: I, I think it definitely musically and, and yeah, lyrically, I think it really does uh, have that that vibe to it. But it definitely also could be, you know, it's, it, it, it's also next stop, Suffragette City. I think is a uh, really right. where the song goes.
2: Oh, absolutely. And yeah, the song's about a guy that's like in a city somewhere and he's like watching this scene out of his window of a, of a, of, you know, it could be a prostitute. It could be a drag queen. I mean, it's not clear who uh, is really giving this guy the business in the street. And the guy watching is just kind of looking on and like, maybe he's wishing he was living that life. And, uh, yeah. It's just a, it's just a, it's just a rocker. It's, it's a, a you know, the, I would say if you, if anybody ever called Bowie proto punk, it's because of the guitar work in this song. Like it is well, the, the, the distortion tone is something that will carry over into punk rock. Well, we were uh, Not, not a decade later.
3: We were talking about, you know, uh, this album and we're going to rank it soon. The high highs in this album are all very, uh, uh, if Bowie was a genre, genre defining, you've got the moments in changes. You've got the moments in uh, life on Mars. And then the moments in this on the, like the could have been me and it could have been me. And like the buildup right there, like that could be a montage right there. Like that, 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 that part of the song. And I, I just feel like, you know, I, I, I feel like I've seen uh, not even Wes Anderson, multiple movies that, that might've used this, 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 song in it. I don't know. It's a great track. Really good.
1: So, uh, apparently it was also in the movie, uh, Simon Pegg movie called run fat boy run. Ah, uh, yes. That, yeah.
3: that, that, uh, that great classic. It's not. <laughs> and also
1: listen, the, uh, here's, a, here's the problem. I, 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 uh,
3: what was that second part there, Mark?
1: Uh, it was also in that, uh, Sean Penn movie milk, but go ahead. Uh, yes.
3: That, uh, did you guys ever watch that?
1: Yeah, it was all right. It was
3: good. I never saw it. Um, But I do have to say that it is, you know, uh, Simon Pegg done a lot of things we like, but he never gets taken to task enough for blatantly just ripping off fat guy goes nutsoid with run, fat boy, run.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can't say what that movie was about. Oh, it was a, uh, you know who directed that goddamn movie? Uh,
2: Michael Ian Black.
1: David Schwimmer. Correct.
2: Oh, Michael Ian Black wrote it. Hold on, um, yes. guys.
3: Are you talking about Fat Guy Goes Nuts?
1: <laughs> no. Uh, Run, oh, okay. Fat Boy, Run. Directed by old Ross from uh, fucking Friends. There you go.
3: Fat Guy Fat guy Goes nutsoid Mark and I rented that uh, around the same time we rented Blackula yeah. from uh, Mark. What was that? Awesome video store in Roseville.
1: Placer Video? Placer TV and Video. Yeah, that's right.
3: Eric, Eric, did you ever hear of Placer TV and Video?
2: No, I went to Family Video out in Orangeville.
3: Yeah, this is a little bit too northern for you, but it was such a good, just, you know, back when video stores existed and they could be privately owned. Uh, There might have been two locations, maybe three. And uh, it was so fun to go in there and and get movies. And I think their mascot was an old prospector.
1: It was an old prospector. It was a really crudely drawn cartoon prospector. It was great.
3: (laughs) There'll be gold in
2: these videos.
3: There you go. That, that probably not too far off. Uh, So speaking of mining for gold, there is gold at the end of this album rainbow. When, uh, we do the closing track, which is the, uh, Bellway Brothers, uh, the
1: Billway Brothers. Uh, no, the Buellay Brothers.
3: I've been saying Belway Brothers for years, but we all know that I can't pronounce anything correctly. Let's hear a clip.
0: And my brother lays upon the rocks, he could be dead, he could be not, he could be you. He's chameleon, comedian, Corinthian, and caricature. Shooting up high in the sky, Buellay Brothers. In the feeble in the bad Beauty and In the blessed and cold In the crutch-hungry dark Was where we played our mark. Oh, and we were gone Kings of oblivion We were so turned on Lay me place and bake me pie I'm starving for me, cry me. Leave my shoes and door and love I might just slip away Aye. Aye. just for the night Aye. Aye. please come alive Aye. just for the die
3: oh let come get a cigarette Come i don't Come smoke what a great song it is a
1: great song that Come yeah, Mark, what do you think about this song? It gives me chills every time I hear it. I mean, it is like... Uh, it is a breath of fresh air. I think it, it closes the album out so strong um, and so atmospheric. I didn't realize that this album had it in it, to be honest with you. Um, it's haunting. It's creepy. It's got some really awesome lyrics um, that... I don't know if... Uh, they can be interpreted. I mean, they've been interpreted so many ways this way, until Tuesday. Um, he gives some great oh. vocal performances, great vocal delivery. This is
2: known. This is known as the most impenetrable Bowie song. Uh, as far as lyrical analysis goes, yeah. I, I read so. that.
3: I read that too. And I'm just kind of like, uh, I don't know, man, have you guys ever fucking read the lyrics off outside? Like, I, I don't know, but, um, I do think that whenever you bring up brothers and you talk about David Bowie, that you're going to be thinking about his brother and the relationship there, especially if you've, if you scratched anything beneath the surface level of him um, to me, I, I think there's definitely, this is about the relationship he has with uh, his brother, who he also, I mean, covered in what jump they say, maybe was that one of the ones we talked about? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. And um, absolutely. you know, he had, a, he had a very interesting relationship with his half brother. Um, I think sonically, it 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 goes back to when Mark brought up that there's some ideas that were explored on Space Oddity. That they do a better job of on this album. I think this definitely is one of them. I think that uh, like the Signet Committee or something was the the template for a track like this. To me,
2: this is a ballad that goes places. It's um, you know, not not dissimilar to like how Quicksand starts uh, quiet, it starts quiet, you know, some guitar, some piano, but, um, the string arrangements, the atmosphere, um, it's, uh, yeah, it, 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 it creates a mood. Absolutely. Um, and I would agree. Like, I think there are some lyrics that don't make an ounce of sense. It may, he may have been doing his whole cut up lyric, uh, method here and that's fine. Um, but looking at like, uh, when we were gone, hanging out with your dwarf men, uh, we were so turned on by your lack of uh, conclusions. Uh, he's comparing maybe like his brother, who is an outcast from society because of his mental illness, and maybe Bowie, who's an outcast because of his, uh, what entertains him. Uh, they're, whoa. <laughs> they're treated like uh, like carnies or, or or circus freaks. And they, they make a lot of uh, allusions to that in the song. Um, There's a lot of lyrics that maybe don't fit in, but there is always a through line and it's just two brothers that don't fit in. And um, uh, it, 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 it turns them on as much as it saddens them to be outcasts.
1: Yeah. And apparently David Bowie wasn't really offering much in the way of clarity by describing this song as star Trek in a leather jacket. And uh, I was scratching (laughs) my head on that statement because I'm pretty sure Captain Kirk wears a leather jacket at one point in a time travel episode. So there you go. Cool. Cool.
3: (laughs) If this, if this this was, you know, if this was his reaction to the city on the edge of forever, it makes me like the song even more. Have you, uh, has that been, uh, have you watched that one in your, your rewatch there, Mark?
1: Um, city, uh, do, do you remember what season? I don't, I don't know. Tell me, describe the episode for me. Tell me.
3: Oh, it's uh, Mark. It's only the most classic episode of science fiction TV of all time. That's the one where uh, Kirk and uh, Leonard Nimoy go back in time there and bones goes ape shit. That's a and, good one. Uh, they got, Oh a, yeah.
1: Need no, you need you no stay more. Edith, That's a great Edith,
3: one. He, yep. Edith Keeler. She, you got to make sure she still dies. And uh, you know, there's that scene yes. where uh, a little bit uh, insensitive now, but Spock says he got his ears caught in the Chinese rice picker. Um,
1: so. That's right there. And yes, so that,
3: that's what, that's
1: what this song's all about.
3: <laughs> I think, I think it's a great closer. It did. It, 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 uh, yeah. it, it has some good rising action to an extent. And then it gets weird man. There's like weird gnome voices and it drifts away. It kind of has a, it kind of ends in a Sid Baird esque uh, early pink Floyd vibe kind of way. It's a strange track. Strange, strange, but good track. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, it's a good one.
3: There is a, there
2: is a demo version of this on the Ryko disc. Ryko. That, that is a, uh, a very similar, but, um, they don't, the, they don't add too much in the background to it. It's a lot more just good, like just to mess around with the guitar. um, uh alternately there's a demo version of quicksand and you know that weird like sitar sounding thing in the background of quicksand they bring it really forward in the demo version and it's like it's in reverse there's a reverse effect on it and and they make quicksand even weirder on the demo version but not nearly as good as the album version but
3: Interesting. And so uh there isn't a lot of other ancillary material for this record. There's that song Bombers right I there.
4: Bombers
0: serene captain his deck chair on the red light flash beware pilot fell quite big time as the bomb sailed through the air well the dance and sand when the bank went back when the light up when the smoke began to clear it was positively queer all clear will the sirens sunshine on the wasteland
2: hey bomber yeah there there's bombers Bombers is a uh, sci-fi track. It is a pretty driven folk rock, like it. Like there's a foot stomping on it. The tempo's high, and he's singing. Um, it's like nuclear comic book-y, like atomic age, um, like uh, like song about you know definitely having fun. At the uh, effects of bombing and and, uh, nu- and uh, atomic bombs and, and such, um, it's kind of a fun track. Uh, definitely would have been weird on this album.
3: I, I think it kind of would have fit. Uh, the album's only 38 minutes long. Uh, I think they could have just shoved it in here, or maybe just got rid of Kooks or something. But either way, it doesn't make it wouldn't have moved the needle much. Uh, I do want to point out that you did just seamlessly make another uh, Wes Anderson reference by saying, Hey bomber. So good job. Did you look uh, uh, Mark? Did you Mark? Did you listen yeah, to the song? Bombers? Um,
1: it uh, certainly uh, I listened to it once it, you know, obviously it's an anti-war song. Um, it reminds me of some of the uh, absurdity of uh, Dr. Strange love. So yeah, it's, it's a good little track. It, I think it could have fit on here. It's a kind of upbeat little number. Um, Some of the vocal delivery is kind of nonsense, but I think it's meant to be um, just based off of how nonsense it is to have nuclear wars. So, yeah.
3: Well, that was fun. This was a easy breezy one to get through final thoughts and bolt rankings. Let's start with Eric Anderson. Thank you.
2: Um, You know, I I think this is one I take for granted. I did when I started. I didn't think I'd listened to "Hunky Dory" before, and then half the songs I was already massive fan. I was already a massive fan about you know a lot of these songs. Um, I think there are some low points that I I think "Fill Up Your Heart" is a bad song. I'm just gonna say it's bad. Uh, I don't think "Kooks" is bad. It's just not for me. Um I don't think 8 bar 8 line poem is bad it's just not for me. 8 line poem, thank you. Um but goddamn those high highs are 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 so solid and so enigmatic and um and and uh just defining for Bowie that I uh, you know I can't give it any less than a 3. So I'm going to give it a 3 out of 5.
1: All right. Um so I'm kind of on the same page. There's three songs and those three songs that you named are also not, uh, not on my, my final list. Um, but those classic songs uh, changes as much as we kind of think it's a little bit overplayed. It's still just kind of sucks you in the more that you think about it, the more that you talk about it. And, you know, I think it's, it's a classic song. It's, it's meant to be there. Um, oh, you pretty things life on Mars quicksand being a sleeper agent as eric said um queen bitch and the bule brothers um you know i i would make because of the strength of those songs it's a four for me four out of five
2: yeah that's fair yeah like bule brothers and quicksand were two i wasn't expecting and i really appreciate this album for turning me on to
1: those
3: Yeah, I'm going to give it, uh, I'm going to just be right in between the two of you and give it a 3.5. And um, it's always the album that I knew I liked, obviously, but I actually liked it more than I thought I did. Um, Obviously, I always knew it was the Changes album and the Life on Mars album. I kind of uh, had to be reminded how much I like uh, Oh You Pretty Things. I've always liked the live version of that song, but the studio version is a, uh, a monster. It's great. And like we said, quicksand. I discovered I was like, "Oh, this is a great song," and the Buellay Brothers is just uh, a, a masterwork. Um, it does have that weird; it, it kind of sags on the second side a little, but the high highs are so good. And so I think three five is fair. And um, yeah, I definitely it definitely is a transitional record. I think between the uh, the early folk stuff to the more creative nineteen uh, seventies work. And,
2: yeah. Um, he's like, let me just knock out a couple all-timer like rock classics before I go on to my avant-garde stuff. It's just,
3: it's amazing that songs like Kooks are on there still. It's just, it's yeah. just you know, and, but I Kooks. also, I do, like I said, I've been, uh, you know, I've been uh, driving around a lot for work in the morning and uh, it is a great record to drive and listen to. It goes down smooth. This one felt like did not feel like homework at all ever. I had no problem listening to it over and over again. Uh, it's only about 38 minutes long, but all the songs are pretty painless. Even the ones I thought were bad. I was amused by kooks enough to where by the time I was annoyed by it, it was done, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, it,
2: kooks, kooks reveals a little bit about Bowie as a father, which he rarely sheds light on, which um, I appreciate. I, 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 I uh, you know, I, it's, it's, it's endearing, even if I don't enjoy the song. So.
3: Yeah. And, and just, you know, you can't life on Mars alone. If if this album was just kooks and life on Mars, it would probably still get a three point five. Yeah, for me. it's just uh, that 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 song you put that thing in the goddamn space capsule. It's for everyone to know yeah. forever.
2: Hey Lennox, what do you think about Hunky Dory? I would rate it a two and a half out of five volts. Mm-hmm. Now you know this era, he was kind of doing folk and kind of doing like space rock. A little bit of both. Which of his uh, eras do you like better? Folk or Space Rock? Play Space Rock. How about you? That's a great track.
1: All right. With that, Eric, I think it's time to roll the roll dice. Them,
2: roll them bones. All right. Get your, as you got the list
3: up. It's going to be right. either, I'm going to guess tonight. We're getting to the point where I feel like I can narrow it down. It's going to either be the uh, laughing gnome Davy Jones bullshit, or it's going <laughs> to be Earthling. One of those two. <laughs>
2: what's, out. what's uh 24
1: 24 is heathen.
3: There we go. All
1: right all right there we go all right thanks eric so i guess we're going to heathen next uh well guys this has been fun um we'll see you next time when we Maybe talk about heathen or maybe even talk about Watchmen. Um, But uh, we hope that we brought you closer to pod.
2: All right. Good night.